Hey, sisters and brothers, I have a new sponsor, my friends Gary and Mary Lou from AlkalineWaterSoGood.com. They are international Kangen water distributors. Kangen water is delicious water created from Enagic's innovative water technology. Enagic is a 56-year-old Japanese company with 40 offices in 23 countries, including an office in Manila and eight offices in the U.S. And it is the leading manufacturer of alkaline ionizers and water filtration machines in the world. Not only do these devices filter your tap water, but they also produce ionized alkaline and acidic waters through electrolysis. These waters can be used for various purposes, including drinking, cooking, beauty, and cleaning. Can you imagine never buying bottled water again? The plastic and bottled water often contains BPA and other chemicals, which are proven to be hazardous to your health. And how much fun is it lugging cases of it from the market, recycling it, and you know, plastic is an environmental nightmare. According to Gary, it's also a great way to add an additional income stream. He's been selling machines for over 12 years internationally, and everyone needs the healthiest water in the world. So folks, if you have any questions about Kangen Water, check out their website at alkalinewatersogood.com. That's alkalinewatersogood.com. Or you can email them at gary at garyballin.com. Gary Ballin with two L's dot com. You're listening to the Wolf's Den Radio Show. Talk. Happy New Year, sisters and brothers, and welcome to 2021, the first episode of WDRS Talk, the Wolf's Den Radio Show Talk. With your host, this is Wolf Hemara. Thank you very much for joining me at the start of the year. It's going to be a great year. It's only got to get better. I hope you guys are all good. I hope you guys are well. I go, hope you guys are healthy. Keep boosting your immune system, that's how you're going to fight COVID. Wash your hands, wear that mask, keep on keeping on. The vaccines are coming, and uh, it's going to get better. And uh, so don't give up hope. And uh, I hope everybody had a great new year, um, uh, of course, despite the situation. And I'm sure we all had a modest New Year celebration uh, if we were alone then. Uh, you were not alone. You were your your loved ones were there in spirit, and uh, even uh, I don't know if you guys saw the or even tried to watch the um, the ball drop in uh, in Times Square in New York City, and it was just a weird thing to see. It wasn't exciting at all. You know, usually they interview the people in the crowd, and you see the big crowd, and you know you get excited. But this time there was nothing there. It was just all stands and a couple of, you know, a couple of uh, frontline workers, uh, hospital staff, I think were invited to hang out. So uh, it was fun for them, especially for them. And they deserve that. And uh, we just want to give a shout out to all the frontline people all over the world, man. The nurses, the doctors, the hospital staff, the custodians. Every, everybody that works in a hospital and is working hard against uh, COVID, big, big shout out to you guys. And uh, 
just keep on keeping on. We we are rooting for you, and you are, you are, man. You are you are working hard, man. So hats off to you. So anyway, folks, um, yeah, it's gonna be a great year. Um, I've got a couple of uh, really good interviews coming up that have been, you know, I've 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 done the interviews already, and I plan to uh, do some more interesting people. And I hope you guys are enjoying uh, the the podcast so far. And um, yeah, and this episode, first episode of 2021 is a special one. And uh, it's going to be with my very good friend, Gary Ballin. And uh, Gary, um, his claim to fame and why I, want to, I want, wanted to interview him. Um, you know, I, I met him at a party of a mutual friend and uh, we hit it off. He's a great musician, music lover. And, you know, as you get to know a person, you know, they reveal things about themselves to you. And, uh, you know, the first thing that uh, I, I, I discovered about him was that he was the former road manager slash production manager of uh, NWA with uh, Ice Cube and Dr. Dre and Easy e and all those guys. You know, uh, Fuck the Police fame. One of the uh, you know the the originators of West Coast gangster rap, not just West Coast, but gangster rap across the board. Um, they changed uh, music history. They they invented the genre of music, and he was there to witness it, man. So um, and he was also uh, in, in the interview and in, in the stories he's been he he told me. Um, he 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 also uh, did production manager work for Air Supply. Uh, on their first tour of America, which was very huge. Uh, and he, he, he also managed uh, a band called Hurricane in the mid-'80s, a hair metal band. Um, and I actually saw the album, the vinyl album of that band, Hurricane, a couple of days ago. And uh, I was like, oh, this is the, this is the band that Gary uh, managed. It's Hurricane. And then I flipped the... The, the vinyl record, and I, I look, it's, and it's there. His name is there. It's like uh, uh, Gary Ballin Management or something like that. Gary Ballin, Gary Ballin Entertainment or something. Ballin Entertainment. And uh, I was like, yeah, I know this dude, man. So it was very cool, man. so um, And he's been through a lot of uh, American history. He was in during the turbulent late 1960s, during the Vietnam War. Kent State University, and and uh, he has so many great stories, folks. And I just wanted him to uh, to tell it to everybody who who wants to listen. And he also recently got engaged. So congratulations to Gary and Mary Lou, and they are the new sponsors of the show, Kangen Water. Uh, so if you heard the the ad at the beginning of the show, please uh, check them out. Check out their website, and. Uh, and I'm really, I really appreciate Gary for, uh, for uh, offering sponsorship for WDRS Talk. So that money is going to go to a great cause. It's going to pay some bills and uh, buy some equipment and uh, for everybody and to improve the show, of course. Always want to move forward. So here we are, folks. And um, like I said, um, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm still not feeling up to doing the live DJ sets yet because... Uh, my energies have somehow trans transferred to here, but uh, I'm I'm I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Don't worry about it. 
but in the meantime, um, I, I really hope you guys are, are, are um, enjoying the interviews. I'm trying my best to find some very interesting people, not, not exactly the most popular people, but the most interesting people to me. So when I'm doing these interviews, I'm actually not doing it for everybody. I'm doing it for me. And if you actually uh, know the person I'm interviewing and you have interest in them, then that's great. But it's really for me, and I just want to share it with everybody who is willing to accept that gift. So on with the show. Good luck to everybody for 2021. Once you get, once you can receive that vaccine, get the vaccine. Don't think twice about it. Of course, you talk to your doctor, and you discuss your your your. You know, uh, if you have allergies. Or, or if you are, if you have uh, low blood sugar and stuff like that, of course you got to tell your doctor before they give you the vaccine, so they know uh, if it's safe or not. And uh, stay safe, everybody. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. Um, boost your immune system. Vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, turmeric. Just boost that motherfucker, man. And uh, we're we're gonna get out of this together we are in this together and we're gonna get out of this together all right so here we are wdrs talk episode what episode is it episode 10 how poignant episode 10 episode the first episode episode of 2021 this is me talking to gary ballon enjoy all right sisters and brothers this is another great episode of wdrs talk the wolf's den radio show talk and my guest for today is uh, a very special person who I uh, had the privilege to meet, I guess, more than a decade ago, or maybe a decade already. I'm not sure exactly, but it's been a long time already since we've... It's been uh, over I, 10 I, years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's a very entertaining person, a very kind person, a very warm person, and just generous and just the 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 best guy and uh he is a great musician a great singer uh, a human jukebox as people like to call him and he also happened to be uh the 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 road manager of nwa back in the mid 80s was it mid or late 80s 89 90 i started all right so folks please sisters and brothers please welcome my friend gary ballon Gary, welcome to the show. I am so happy that you're here. My pleasure, Wolf. Anything for you. All right. Thanks, man. So um, so how have you been, man? <laughs> Through You know what? We've been great. You know, uh, Mary Lou and I, I, that's how I met Wolf, through my girlfriend, mm-hmm. Mary Lou, who I've lived with for over seven years, and her oh, daughter... Lady? Yeah, yeah, we've already, it's been our seven-year, eighth-month anniversary yesterday. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations, man. Yes, and she's Filipina, and she she took me to the Philippines twice already. So Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, that's where we met, and her daughter is, her daughter is uh, married to a good friend of mine, Brad, and that's who I knew first, Brad and Tina. Mm-hmm. And through and- that, I met Mary Lou, and... Uh, you know, we love each other. So, we're you know, we're together all the time and, uh, you know, we're hanging in there. Wow, man. So 
So when did when did when did that spark happen, man? Do you mind talking about that? No, I don't mind talking about that at all. <laughs> you know, it's like me inquiring me. minds want to know, man. Yeah, you know, <laughs> ever ever thought it was going to happen. Yeah. You know, the first time she saw me, I was singing in a in a bar in Oxnard, California. And I did a lot of rap. I did a lot of NWA. Am I allowed to curse on this? Well, oh, fuck yeah, man. Okay. So, you know, I do straight out of Compton, crazy motherfucking name, Ice Cube, from a gang called Brothers with Attitude. When I'm called off, I got a sawed off. Squeeze the trigger, bodies are hauled off. So I do all this gangster rap, and uh, she hated it. You know, she hated, <laughs> she hated the four-letter words. You know, oh. she, Mary Lou went to the Etsa Shrine, uh-huh. In Manila, every single day she went to church. Oh my God! So she was very religious, still is, you know. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm on the outside, other side of the spectrum, right? But uh, we got to be good friends because of Brad and Tina, and uh, I helped her learn how to drive here in California, in LA. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time together, just in the car, and uh, I was taking care of my mother, who was dying of pancreatic cancer she was in her mid 80s and tina i mean not tina mary lou and uh, my mom got to be really good friends which was nice and uh and and we just got to be best friends and um kind of because of that uh one day she called me up and she said she had a date with one of my with my business manager Uh uh-huh Without me knowing about it. No, she didn't even tell me. Oh, she told me the day it happened. So so I kind of got, you know, hoodwinked here. But she said she wanted me to be the uh, chaperone Uh of a date, you know, which I thought was crazy. You know, (laughs) you know, why you're going out with this guy who I know who should have told me in the first place Uh because we knew we were really close. But he didn't and she didn't. So, uh so I'm at this jam session, and it's a hoot nanny, and I'm playing guitar for about four or five hours straight, mm-hmm. nonstop. And I'm smoking pot, and I'm I'm high, and my fingers are hurting, and I just want to go home. And she says, "No, you got to come over, and we're going to Brad's house, you know, me and and your friend." And I just don't, you know, I, I've never dated an American guy before, and I, you know, I don't know what to do. And I said, "Okay," so I come over. And uh, I get the guy really stoned. He, he's, he's like a, he's like a stockbroker. So the guy hasn't smoked pot or anything in like a year. So I got him really stoned, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, <laughs> it turns out that uh, I stay for as long as I could. And then eventually uh, Tina's uh, um, Brad's son came over and uh and we all left we all left so mm-hmm. that's kind of how it started and right. Mary Lou and I were also in uh in a business together we a Kong and water right you know when when my mom got sick I learned about this Kong and water you know for it's it's a Japanese technology and it's like the healthiest water in the world right. so you know I got a, a machine from my mom uh-huh. and when when Mary Lou came into the U.S., uh, she helped me market it because she was a marketer. I, I'm a musician and a, you know, a rock and roll guy, so I really never was in sales or marketing or any of that. Mm-hmm. So um, 
we had a demo to go up to Santa Cruz. My sister lived up there. So we had about 15 or 20 people. We were going to sh- take uh, take the water up and kind of give them a demonstration how it worked. Mm-hmm. And then the next day we were going to go to uh, San Jose where she had a cousin and do the same thing. So we, we got in the car. We started driving up Pacific Coast Highway. If you've ever been there, yeah. it's beautiful. It's a beautiful drive you know all the way up like from santa cruz uh, santa monica all the way up the coast to santa cruz yeah so we kind of took uh, the long way right on the ocean and it was getting kind of romantic and we were kind of getting you know lovey-dovey etc but still uh-huh. it's like i never held her hand or we never talked about anything right so it's sunrise and the sun's setting and that's sunrise. It's sun. The sun is setting and we kind of pull over and we look at the sunset over the, you know, this beautiful ocean sun setting in it. And we kind of start falling in love. Nice. So uh, we drive up to Hollister, California, where my brother is. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if I should say this, but I will. And so he's got <laughs> these marijuana cookies. Okay. So, uh, we take the so the night before we eat a little bit. She's she doesn't smoke pot. She doesn't do anything. You know she's she very. Was this, the, was this the first time she took took pot? First time, yeah. I think the first time oh she ever took, took took. But it, it wasn't. Uh, it, it it didn't affect her that much that night. So the next day we drove to Santa Cruz to do our. Uh, our, uh, you know what? I better not say this story. Okay, okay. <laughs> I can I'm, cut I'm it out. Now. This is going to the Philippines and you know it. Oh, it's too long. and, and it, It's in- long and it's crazy. But right. to make a long story short, yeah, we kind of fell in love on that trip. And uh, we've been together ever since. We, uh, She moved in with me in, in, uh, when I lived in L.A. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and so we've been together like for over over eight years. We've been to the Philippines twice, and uh, it's, yeah. So I, I better keep it keep it like that for now. Yeah. And and, and we got engaged. We got engaged. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. About man. about two months ago. It's like uh, yeah. I, I I inherited a bunch of money. I got lucky. Wow. And um, I never I never could have. I always said when I can afford to to uh you know in you know um engage you you know i mean to to to, you know to be where uh we're engaged Mm -hmm. i'll do it and so um i i kind of got lucky i was playing at this uh uh va hospital i did a lot of um uh charity work Mm -hmm. playing guitar and singing to old people mostly VA veterans um, assisted living places. So like I ran into this guy about seven or eight years ago, an old Navy veteran named Johnny Horton. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was already in his eighties and uh, I would get up and play and He'd get up and sing with me. He was saying like, uh, ain't no sunshine. Uh, He would sing stand by me. He would do, he would do Lou Rawls. You know, he would do, uh, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sam Cooke, 
Nice. Temptations, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So his dream, and, and he wrote and he wrote a bunch of songs. But you know, this guy was in his 80s in, in the VA hospital living in the mental in the in the in the psych ward. Right. He was locked in. Yeah. So wow. uh eventually, and I so I used to get him up to sing with me. And yeah. so we got to be really good buddies. And one day he says, Hey Gary, uh, I wrote a song. You think you can follow along? I said, sure. So he breaks into this song about Paris Hilton. Okay. okay so it's you know, his own, old, it, it's his own song. His own song about Paris Hilton. Okay. Now, you know who Paris Hilton is, right? Yeah. 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 Right. So what is this yeah, old yeah. 80 year old dude singing about Paris Hilton? Right, so it's right, like, right. It, goes like this. it goes, Paris Hilton is a rebel. Yes, indeed. Paris Hilton is a rebel, just like me. Paris Hilton is a rebel. Can't you see? That's why we get along so happily. So he's got this whole song yeah. about Paris Hilton. So his dream was to go into a recording studio. So I take him into a recording studio. We uh-huh. record the song. I get to his world-famous harmonica player named Jimmy Z, who played with Rod Stewart and the Eurythmics. You know, I used oh, wow. to be a manager. Uh, and he played harmonica on it. And, and we brought in a video crew and we videotaped it and we put it on uh, on YouTube. It's on YouTube right now. It's called Johnny Horton, Paris Hilton is a Rebel. Nice. And uh, so over the next seven or eight years, we recorded 11 songs. And and eventually he started living in a very low, kind of low class assisted living place in Linwood, in the hood. In, mm-hmm. in South Central LA. Right. And he was always broke and he was always on the streets begging money. So I put oh. together a CD for him uh-huh. so he could sell a CD. So he put like seven of his songs on a CD and he'd uh-huh. sell them out in front of McDonald's and Denny's, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. So to make a long story, it is a long story, but I'll, I'll shorten it. Uh-huh. So last year he passes away oh, and he shit. lived me as his next of kin. And now I never thought uh-huh. that he had anything because he was always broke. Every time we went and saw him, I would give him money. We'd take him out to lunch. Uh-huh. You know, he, he, it turned out he had like over $100,000. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, in, in an account. And he left, after expenses, he left about seventy five grand to me. Oh, wow, dude. Right, exactly. So, which I got and saved my ass, I'm telling you. Once this pandemic started, because all my life, oh, yeah. crazy, it all stopped. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I got this money. And, and once I got the money, then I proposed to Mary Lou. And uh, so we're now officially engaged. And, you know, I'm hoping on another big chunk and then we'll get married someday. Oh, that's cool, man. Congratulations, man. Thanks. All right. So, man. Yeah. So, yeah, that's when the first time I met you was was at those uh, those uh, those fun parties at uh, Brad's Brad and Tina's house. Oh, yeah. And um, hmm. that's a good story right there. Yeah. Brad and Tina. Yeah. Yeah. This, this was Mary Lou's uh, daughter, Tina. And, uh-huh. and her they used to come and see me. And a bar called the Lookout Bar and Grill in Oxnard, California, uh-huh. which is where we live now. But at this time, at that time, we were living in L.A. So they just they came and saw me and they liked my act. And we just got to be really good friends. And uh, 
the first time I met Brad, I think it was the first or second, he came up to me and he said, hey, man, you know, he, he said he was a guitar player. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to take lessons from you or just hang out, you know. Uh-huh. You know, so we ended up hanging out together. We didn't live that far away from each other. So every Tuesday night, me and him would just sit down and play guitar, just play music for hours yeah. and hours and have a good old time. Nice. And so that's what kind of that's kind of how I met you. It's yeah. like as it went on, we added more and more people. And first it was two, then it was five, then it was ten, then it was fifteen. Yeah. And then it, and then it turned into like a ton of people. We would have these massive jam sessions with great musicians. Yeah. Oh my and it, god. It's been for years now. It's it, it's incredible. Yeah, those 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 uh those jam sessions were it had a peak where everyone was actually playing and paying attention, you know. It wasn't just yeah. background music. It was like the thing, the center of attention, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we had some really fun. good players, yourself included. And oh, um and then we would also take it to some of the clubs I played at. You know, like uh-huh. Rock and Roll Pizza, the the Rack, right. you know, where you came and sat in with us every now and then. Yeah. But we were, you know, I, had a, I, I always played live. I played, I've been playing live since I've been 15 years old. Oh, man. And I'm 68 now. I never stopped. Uh, I, I did a lot of touring. I was on tour for 10 years on the road. You know, I managed groups, production manager, road manager. Yeah, yeah. I was a personal manager for groups. You know, I, I was in the business most of my life, but I never stopped performing and playing. That's always been you know, my love. Yeah. So, so since we're there, so where, uh, uh, where are you from? Where do you, where were Columbus, you Columbus, Ohio. Oh, Ohio wow. State Buckeyes who are in the, in the championship now. Thank you. Oh, really? Oh yeah. 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 We play Clemson January 1st. And then when we kick their butts, we're going to play Alabama and we'll be the number one team in, in the country. But wow. yeah, I, I started in Columbus and uh, I started taking guitar lessons at nine years old. Uh-huh. I was kind of a bad kid and got in a lot of trouble. So my parents wanted to kind of change my, uh, my focus. And so I was in bands in elementary school. It was my first band in sixth grade. Junior high, I was in bands. High school, I had a great 12-piece soul band. It was a half black, half white school. Mm-hmm. So we had four black singers out front. We had a horn section. Wow. We did all Motown, Stax, you know, James Brown, Temptations, Supremes, Percy Sledge. And we were really good. We were the, the go-to band in high school. What's then, the name of the uh, band? Contemporaries. Oh, nice. Yeah. There's a nice picture of, of me and the band on my website, uh-huh. which is GaryBallon.com. Uh-huh. And you can kind of see my whole history and all the photos of me and my sixth grade band, the pretzels, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and then, uh, once so, I wait, got so a, when you're, when you're a kid, man, sixth grade, man, I feel like sixth grade, I was only like, I wasn't even listening to the radio. I was a kid. So how does a sixth grader just, you know, how do you think when well, I, I was start a band, like with three other people, you know, look, when I was four years old, uh-huh. I remember, seeing a band uh, when I was four years old and I knew that is what I wanted to do. 
you know, and mm-hmm. when, it wasn't only the band, it was the microphones, the cords looked like snakes. So I dug that, oh. you know, there was all this stuff going on. And then I also, when I was really young, five or six, I had a cousin who was a teenager and she and her friends used to have what they call sock ops. Mm-hmm. So they would get a little 40, you know, a little turntable, play 45s of Dion in the Belmonts, Elvis, Little Richard, Little Richard, right. you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so me and my cousin and my brother, we kind of sit there and watch these girls dancing around and listen to this music. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's, it's kind of all getting into my psyche. Right. And my mom and dad always had music going. They, uh, they were musicians themselves, but at those times, this is the fifties. Uh, uh-huh. We're listening to Sound of Music, uh, West Side Story, okay, um, you know Broadway musicals, right? Uh, Johnny Mathis, uh, uh, Frank Sinatra. So no rock so, and roll yet. No rock and roll yet, but oh the first God. rock and roll I kind of really remember was Bye Bye Birdie, because they had this cat named Conrad Birdie who who was kind of <laughs> like Elvis. Okay. So he, he kind of so he was rocking out. So, you know, once I kind of saw that, I said, man, you know, this is cool. Uh-huh. Um, so that's kind of how, how it started. And um, when I moved to I moved from Cleveland to Columbus in sixth grade and I started taking guitar lessons. Uh-huh. So I started learning how to read notes and read chords. And and it was, you know, stuff, you know, like uh, cowboy songs, you know, uh, you know, were, home were on the range. Uh, were you, was your were you playing on a normal guitar? Were your hands big enough? Guitar I've got right now. It's a, you know, I've, I've had it since I've been nine. It's a, oh my it's God. a Martin 015. It's 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 uh, 68 years old. It's as old as me. This guitar. <gasps> so were, were you were your hands big enough to that at that age? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a small body. It's a small body. So oh, okay. it's not a big one. So it was like perfect. And, you know, over the years, I've hitchhiked all across the country with it. I've fallen off stages with it. Oh, I've broken God. it. You know, I mean, I've done all kinds of stuff, but I still play it three days a week, every single week now wow. on Facebook Live. It never warped or anything? Well, it's had some issues, but I got some great guys that can work on it. So, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, there, there's a guy named the Amazing Nick who used to work at the, at um, at the uh, oh that famous uh, um, guitar guitar place in in uh, Norm's Rare Guitar it's called. Mm. And so the the the, the, the luthier there. So so if I got problems, he he could fix it. So uh, uh-huh. I've kept it. Nice. So when you were. Um... Did you see the Beatles on TV when they first came out here in the in the states? Of course. Of how course. old were you? How old were you when that I happened? I was probably twelve. Okay. Eleven or twelve. You know, maybe that was sixty-three, maybe, and I was born in fifty-two. Okay. So, and as soon as they came out, I would go and buy the sheet music of Beatles songs. Uh huh. You know. So, so wait, what was your reaction, man, when you saw it? Oh, it was it was life changing. Wow. It just changed my life. I mean, because I was already playing music. And then I see these guys on the Ed Sullivan show and, uh, you know, just couldn't couldn't imagine. I mean, I just couldn't get over it. And, and then I really got into 
all the British invasion bands, uh-huh. Jerry and the Pacemakers, Dave mm-hmm. Clark Five, Rolling Stones, yeah. the Kinks, the Who, you know, the Beatles, yeah. uh, Chad and Jeremy, Peter and Gordon. And, and for some reason, I've been really good at remembering lyrics. Mm-hmm. You know, I was never like a great guitar player, still am not, but I know thousands of songs. So yeah. I was really good at remembering lyrics, wow. and I loved the British Invasion. So once the Beatles happened in the 60s, then I was in a jun- in junior high. I was in a band with a couple friends of mine, and we did you know, Wooly Bully, you know, uh, Twist uh-huh. and Shout, um, Hang On Sloopy, all those 60s songs. Uh-huh. You know, and again, it's a way to get girls. You yeah. know, it wasn't like I was really that good looking and didn't yeah. have any money. But I figure, you know, if I could play and sing, maybe I'll get a couple of girls every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then, that, was, that was junior high. And then in high school. Um, were, were you into Bob Dylan and, and the folk stuff? Love Bob Dylan. Love folk stuff. Oh, yeah, okay. I knew all kind of Peter, Paul, and Mary and, and, and the, the uh, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Arlo Guthrie, Woody Guthrie. Yeah, I, I was into all that stuff. So was it like, because like nowadays, I mean, especially with Spotify and, and, and stuff like that, you can really be so specific in what genre you listen to. So it's like I, I would, I would um, when I would hang out with people older than I was in, during that era, they would always just say, well, it was just rock. It was all the same. There's nothing, nah. you know. No. No? Okay. No, so, it wasn't all the same. There's okay. so many different kinds of rock. Uh-huh. You know, there's rockabilly, you know. There's... No, but what I mean is, did were, were people conscious of it at that time to really say, okay, this is rockabilly, that's surf rock, that's... Um, well, in America, rock. pretty much in the U.S., the people were pretty, pretty sophisticated. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, you know, like so they, were, they were taking rock and roll seriously already by by this time. Yeah, but you know, it, 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 exactly. Well, yeah, oh, we took rock and roll serious with Elvis and Buddy Holly, and you know, in the late fifties, uh-huh. you know, when that stuff was going on. So the the Beatles just kind of took it took it a little further. And the th- cool thing about the Beatles and the Rolling Stones is the groups they liked the best were all black. Motown mm. groups, the soul, the soul yeah. guy. That's who they respected. And yeah. the blues guys. Yeah. The old blues guy, Muddy Waters, you know, yeah. Howlin' Wolf, you know. These so how were, so so speak speaking of those blues guys, uh what was that like? I mean, were you were you were you were too young for that, right? I mean to be or no. I no, no, I wasn't too young at all. Um, okay. I mean, I mean, it started in the 20s, maybe, you know, I mean, but as far as my interest in it went, uh-huh. uh, because I was in a half black, half white uh, junior high in high school, uh-huh. I, I got a, I had a lot of influences, a lot of black influences. So friends of mine would turn me on to B.B. King. Uh-huh. You know, Thrill is gone, you know, and things like that. Or Albert Collins. Yeah. Or Terry and Brownie McGee. You know who are like older guys uh-huh. and who are more folk, um, blues folk kind of guys. Mm-hmm. So 
it, it, there was so much of it to go around. And I always, you know, kept my mind open to kind of learn a little bit of everything. Right. So was, was, was that, was blues music during that time, was it fringe or was it already mainstream? No, it wasn't mainstream at all. Okay. You know, like in the city, again, the Rolling Stones would do some blues stuff. So you right. really didn't even know about it until like groups like the Rolling Stones, you know, did, you know, oh. you know, I'm a bumblebee, you know, buzzing around your hive, things like that. Uh -huh. And then they would talk. And back then the cool thing too was you had the Rolling Stone magazine, you know, mm -hmm. you had Crawdad, you had a lot of magazines so you could learn about all these different types of music right? You know, and where it came from. And, you know, it's not like now with YouTube, you can do everything immediately, but there you can research things. If you, yeah. if you're a musician and you want to learn, then you could read, read, you know, who did what, how it started, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So um, another thing that I like uh, asking people of your era is that how did you feel when Bob Dylan went electric? Oh, I loved it. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I mean, he had, he had the band behind him, you know? Yeah. Well, he had Al Cooper on keyboards, but, you know, he had Robbie Robertson, you know, and Rick Danko. And, and I wasn't a, a, I wasn't a, um, a, a purist. Artist. I wasn't a purist oh. by any means. Uh -huh. A lot of that I thought was boring, actually. You know, so right. I was, you know, I loved Hendrix. You know, I loved, I loved the electric stuff. I loved right. um, Band of Gypsies, you know. I mean, I love that stuff, you know. So, and, so how did songs like uh, those, when he turned electric, of course, all these songs were, I mean, uh, no, wait, how did it feel when it's like, holy shit, Bob Dylan's with, and, you know, and then you hear a, a rock and roll band, you know. Uh, on the, I mean, the record, not live, but on the record. It's like when you yeah, first heard, yeah. like a Rolling Stone. What, like, what, what, what was the reaction of everybody? You know, mind blowing. Wow. And the thing too is, I think they hyped it a lot more than it really was. You know, about people freaking out that he went electric. It was kind of like the highbrows. You know, kind of like the, yeah. You know, again, like the purists that don't even like rock and roll anyway. Right, you know, right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Who cares about them? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They're kind of stuck in their own world yeah. where, you know, Dylan, if he's bored and wants to do something new, he could do whatever he wants. He's Bob Dylan. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, because now it's like, like, like a song like, like, a, like a Rolling Stone is, you know, it's on a playlist on every radio, you know, that plays... Yeah classic rock you know but and then of course you take it for granted because it's played all the time but then when you listen to it you when you really listen to it and then you think that you have to i mean for me speaking of me i have to like imagine being there and hearing it for the first time on the radio in the car i'm so interested with how people reacted when they first heard let's say um uh, you know, cream, you know, you know, yeah. you know, I really, because I wasn't there, you know, I was not born yet. Right. So I, I, and I love that music and I, you know, it, so it, that's what interests me, you know, I'll tell you what killed me uh -huh. 
fucking <clears throat> Red Zeppelin's first record. Oh, really? I get goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was like a senior in high school. Yeah. You know, when that came out, that was like earth shattering. We never heard anything like it. You know, yeah. Like, as great as Hendrix was and Cream was. But when, when Zeppelin first came out, man, like same thing with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. That, that was a whole nother kind of different type of music. But yeah. those things were kind of so different and new. Yeah. That it blew it our so, lives. I mean, even now, I mean, when if you think about it, it's like I'm thinking about CSN, and then even the concept until now is so, it's still unique about their history, you know? And the great thing is, you can see all this on, you know, on Netflix. I mean, mm-hmm. you can see how it all happened. Yeah. Oh, you know, like Mama Cass put that band together. Yeah. You know, up in the, up in the, Laurel you know, Canyon. Uh, Laurel Canyon. Did you see that documentary? Of course. I've seen yeah. every, every documentary that's been made, I think I've seen. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. See, that's the that's the shit I like. You know, I love to know all of that because because then you understand the music more. Yeah. You know, it becomes a little more personal. You know, it's like, yeah, I know, okay, I know the story of that lyric or or you know, this and that. You know, it's like the story of uh our house. Yeah, Graham Nash was looking Graham Nash, at. Yeah, right. Was looking at who? Who did? Uh, Joni Mitchell was outside Joni in the Mitchell. garden. Right. right. She was standing in the garden, and he was looking at her. And then he wrote the lyrics, and I'm like, "Fuck!" You know, it's like yeah. it, the, the the lyrics become so much deeper to the listener if you know the story. It's like, oh, you're like, "Fuck, man!" It's it like you wish you could fucking write a song like that for a chick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why wrote one for Mary Lou that's almost that good? Oh, God. <laughs> um, the thing is, like, like when you first heard Crosby, Sills, Nash's harmony, yeah. and, you know, like, like with the uh, Everly Brothers, great harmony, you know, there's great harm, Beatles, great harmony. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, Crosby, Sills, and Nash and Young, when they first came out, that harmony was insane. No, you know why? Because it was a three part, four part harmony. I mean, who was doing that before? It, like you said, Everly Brothers too. The yeah. other one you said was and even just, the Beatles. They did very yeah. few songs, very few songs with three part harmony. Yeah, yeah. Most of it was two part, you know. And, and and John with John and Paul, and then then George would come in like on this boy that song mm-hmm. yeah. three part. Yeah, you know. But most of it's two part. But Crosby still snatch. And the thing of it is, David Crosby was like John Lennon. He could sing those low harmonies that oh. you know they're, they're, they're weird. Yeah, you know, they're like, they had like the weird. Third yeah, fifth, you know. You know when I, like when I third and fifth. Yeah, because you know my I I have I have this thing. It's like when I'm in the car, I'm listening to music. If and if there's harmonies in song, I try to find that weird harmony and try to sing that. Yeah, that's how I practice. You know, because I you know it's like I sing in the bathroom. I sing in the car. That's my secret thing that I do. I sing to myself. And then when those harmonies come in, I always look for Stephen Stills' voice. And that's the one that I try to sing because it's, it's like, it's, it's so weird that it's, it comes in and out. Yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing is that sometimes you can, you can go to YouTube and find the vocals where they're already, you only hear the, the one voice. Oh, really? You know? Oh, shit. So you can kind of hear what they did. Yeah. 
you know, and then, and it's, uh, I love that stuff. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you one other thing. Uh-huh. Another thing that was very cool for me personally was my cousin, Jerry Heller, was mm-hmm. an agent in those days for the Guess Who, the Grassroots, Marvin Gaye, the Animals. Wow. He was the one that brought, he's the one that brought Elton John to the first gig at the Troubadour. In oh United my States. God, really? He was the agent that did the first um, Pink Floyd tour. So I had wait, a, wait a minute. Was he uh, was he independent? Yeah, he, he had a he had a company. Well, he had a couple different companies. Okay. You know, one was called Heller Fischel. Uh-huh. Um, actually, there's a book that you can get called Ruthless, right? Which is you know he also was of course the manager of NWA and Eazy-E yeah. and, and and general manager of Ruthless Records. So he wrote a book, and in the book you can you know it's kind of his whole life story. And and it's it's the cool thing is I was there, I mean not personally there, but you know he was yeah. my cousin, You're so cousin. I kind of was following this through him. Were you close since you were kids? Yeah, we were close, but he was ten years older than me. Oh, okay. So you know he was he was a lot older, right? And he moved. He we we moved. Uh, we both were born in Shaker Heights, which mm-hmm. is kind of part of Cleveland. And uh, when I was really young, then I moved to Cleveland Heights. He lived in Shaker. Then he went to the service and, you know, then college and everything. And we moved to Columbus. But the summer of 1969, mm-hmm. I was going into my senior year of high school. And uh, my parents flew me out to California mm-hmm. from Columbus to hang out with my cousin Jerry for a couple okay. of weeks. And so I go out there. What's this, mid-60s? Mid 69. Okay, 69. The summer of 69. Uh-huh. He lived right off the Sunset Strip. Holy shit. You can't even, can't even imagine the scene. Holy the shit. doors are playing. You know, it's, it's oh like. My God. So he takes me to the Whiskey Go-Go. I'm like, I'm 17. He takes me to the Whiskey. I'm sitting next to Eric Burden's lead singer of the Animals. Oh, my God. The other side Wait, of me is. Are you, so you're backstage? No, no, no. There, there's no backstage at the whiskey. I mean, there's a. Oh, right, right, right. You're just in the road, on the on the on the sidewalk. VIP booth. Oh, VIP booth. Right, okay. right. So I got my cousin Eric Byrne from the Animals, me, Hilton Valentine, guitar player for the Animals, and we're watching uh, the Flying Burrito Brothers, you know, on stage. You know, it, it was a mind-boggling uh, experience for me in, with Jerry, and then. At the same time, I had another cousin named Joanne mm-hmm. who took me to a place called the Lighthouse. Now, the Lighthouse is a very famous jazz club. In okay? in in LA. Yeah, and it was it was it was in like Redondo Beach, I think. Or okay, right. It may even still be there, the Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. Famous place. So she takes me there, and I I knew about jazz, but not a lot. Uh-huh. You know, so I see this guy named Sonny Stitt. This old saxophone player. Okay. And I see this guy named Mose Allison, this keyboard player, uh-huh. you know, who, and these guys at the time are, are pretty famous. So it's kind of like my mind, it's kind of blowing my mind with the rock thing and the jazz thing. And okay, uh, wait, 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 wait. So these are jazz dudes. What do they look like in 1969? Well, Sonny said, picture uh, Miles Davis or uh, John Coltrane. Uh huh. You know, oh, these are the guys, 
these this is the these are the guys. He's like those these guys, not okay. as famous as those two, uh-huh. you know, Sonny Rollins, yeah. you know, Yusuf Latif, you know, but these are all very respectable jazz musicians that right. toured the world, that played all over the world. And uh, so I got a little taste of jazz in there, which really turned got me into John Coltrane, yeah. you know, and Miles Davis. I love John Coltrane. Herbie man. Hancock and that kind of stuff. Man. Yes. So when, so, so that first, was there anything as heavy, uh, as heavy uh, as the first Zep album before it came out? Well, yeah, Black Sabbath. Black they, Sabbath. They came out first. Do you I heard them Black first? Sabbath, I think uh, Iron Man <laughs> or something, uh, or Paranoid. Uh-huh. You know, that might have been maybe the same time. Not exactly sure. But as far as heavy, like Led Zeppelin heavy, um, nah, you know, there's groups like uh, uh, Get Your Motor Running, Head Out on the Highway, Steppenwolf. Yeah, but you can't compare, you know. Yeah, so that's as as heavy as it got before the first Zep came out. Yeah, you know, and Hendrix, I mean, Hendrix was heavy, but in a different way. Yeah, yeah, in a different way. But I mean, drums. I mean, heavy drums. It went, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. There was I, no I, one I, before Bonham. <laughs> yeah, I think Bonham was the one that got it started. Yeah, yeah. and 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 the, the and the beautiful thing about John Bonham that I, you know, uh, that I discovered, you know, back, you know, when I was when I first learned about Zep, you know, you research about the band and you read every interview and every issue of Mojo, you know, with those old interviews. Right. And um and then he reveals that, you know, it's like my idols were the, those Motown guys. The moment that he said that, I'm like, no wonder. That's like no wonder. It's just the he's just a little bit bigger than these the yeah. black guys. So that's yeah. why he hits much harder than them. But he's playing the exact same thing that those that the drummers of, of um the funk brothers, see, right? Right, the right, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. It's and I'm like wow. So now it and that's like oh okay, and so that's when I discover okay it's not Led Zeppelin is not not the first. There's something before that, and something before that. Oh, yeah. And then I go and then I go down this rabbit hole and I end up in fucking Africa. <laughs> you well, know? you know, then you got Buddy Rich. You know, yeah. You know, Buddy Rich was pretty incredible in the in oh. the 40s and 50s. Yeah. You know. But you're right. You go back to Africa. You know, I mean, that's where the shit started. Yeah, because yeah, because it's like it's a total rabbit hole. I'm like, I have to know where this fucking, you know, do do pa do 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 pa do do. I have to know where that came from. Yeah. You know? And then, like I said, it took me all the way to Africa. I'm like, oh well, it, this is it. It doesn't. This is this is where civilization started in Africa. So this, you know. I'm like shit, and then, and that's why when when that's why to me Led Zeppelin is not just okay the best hard rock band or whatever. It's deeper than that for me, because I know for for John Bonham to admit that yeah I this is not I'm not the first one who did this, you know. Well, it's like Charlie Watts. Uh-huh. Charlie Watts was a jazz drummer, right? He didn't even want to be in the rock and roll band. 
I, I just read something like a couple of weeks ago where yeah. him and his buddies before that, he didn't want to be in the Rolling Stones. You know, <laughs> he thought that was like stupid, yeah. you know, but, oh you know, and look how simple he's kept it. Being and he's known as the, greatest, the kind of the greatest rock and roll band of all time. You know, we, you know, kind of. And dude, he's like one of the best rock and roll drummers. He's like this. He is known to be the said steadiest rock drummer. Yeah. Yeah. The steadiest drummer and the groove, man. The groove. It's like a black man playing drums. The groove. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I guess because he is a jazz drummer, then he's not playing conventional. He's really going on feel. Right. You know? Yeah. Because his groove, man, especially like the grooves of Bitch, that, that song, you know, Bitch. Oh my God, it's so groovy, I man. I love that. Yeah, I love that song. And it's just so groovy. And it's so, oh my God. Hey, when it's, I was in college, that that album, Sticky Fingers, yeah, I mean, that was incredible. We we wore that sucker out. And every every club we went in, man, they played that shit so loud. We'd be dancing like we'd be eating acid, you know, quaaludes, and just going crazy. It's the perfect party music, man. Yeah, that, yeah. that kind of rock and roll, I man. Oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> and uh, I also I also got into heavy metal. Um, uh-huh. You know, I I was managing um, I was managing a heavy metal band in the mid '80s called Hurricane. And oh wow! Yeah, yeah. The lead singer Kelly Hansen is now in Foreigner. The drummer, okay. the drummer Jay Shellen, uh-huh. who is now in Yes, and he was in Asia. Wow! But uh, our first, also oh, Alan album, Alan White's not in Yes anymore. He retired. Yeah, he's kind of he's yeah he's kind of retired. And oh, there's wow. also two Yeses. You know, wow. there's there's the uh, the guitar player Yes, and then there's the John yeah. Anderson. Nonetheless, um, Jay, you know, was a great double, double, you know, the double kicks. Uh-huh. So, you know, in the mid 80s, I was really into heavy metals, managing a heavy metal band. So we'd open for uh, Iron Maiden. We'd open for Striper, uh, uh, Quiet Riot, uh-huh. Twisted Sister. Oh, yeah, my God. I'll tell Wait. you who I'm on the road with. Uh-huh. Um. Um. The drum, um, Randy Castillo. Oh, oh, I was on two tours with Randy Castillo. You know, Ra- you knew Randy Castillo. I knew Randy. Oh, dude. And he was. You know the what? I gotta wait, wait. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta. Ha- I gotta tell you this, okay? I love the way Randy Castillo plays. The problem is for me. I don't know, man. The sound of his drums, man. I don't know. It's I don't know if it's the producer or the way he. I don't know, man. But it. I never enjoyed the sound of his drums. I love the way he plays, man. I love. Yeah. I love the way it's because it's unique. You know, it's not a conventional style of drumming. You know, it's it's his own thing. Yeah, and well, and his and his and you know his his two um like uh, the China symbols back here and they're in the front and it's. And then he has the fan. And then he has the electric fan on him all the time. Is that all the time, dude? Yeah, he he used to drink a lot. That was uh I was on tour with Lita Ford from the Runaways. Yeah, Lita uh, Ford. Yeah. And, and Lita uh 
a guy named Dusty Watson was the first drummer with Lita. And then Randy came on after that. But that was crazy. We opened for Twisted Sister. And the first tour, Lita's boyfriend was Nikki Six. Okay. So he'd come out on the road and they'd get crazy. The so second, they're all, these guys are all rock stars already, right? All rock stars, yeah. yeah. The second tour, Tony Iomi was her boyfriend, who was right. also her idol. You know, when she was a little girl playing guitar, Tony Iommi was I her. I forgot about that. Yeah, they were together. Yeah, so, and and they used to bring their Coke dealer on tour with us. Oh, and and we, they would, we'd miss gigs because they wouldn't get out of the hotel room. I couldn't get them out of a room, and we'd miss a gig. They wouldn't just, I mean, it was it was so crazy back then. Holy shit. So, oh, my God. So what happens? I mean, what happens to the gig? The gig's canceled? Yeah, yeah, they just we the, you know the I call the manager Alan Kovac who's in L.A. where we're we're in like Chicago or or Montana you know we toured uh -huh. all over the country. I right. spent ten years on tour buses, all oh over the country. God. Back have been every single state except for Alaska, and uh, you so know the this... manager and he he says well you know. Cancel the gig. We'll have to oh you know, get back the deposit, and all these kids would be pissed off. But you know, a lot of times they didn't care. Wow, really? They yeah. were because the, because the drugs were just just yeah, more right. Important. They were too high. Yeah, exactly. They were too high. Too high to play anyway. Oh my god! So they would just hang out and then go again, get on the bus and go to the next town. Yeah, just... right. Yeah, yeah. A couple <laughs> days later, you know. And you know, I never got crazy. You know, I, I was always, I was, I'm a mellow guy, so I can, I yeah. would deal with it the best I could. But you know, you can't yell at these rock stars or yeah. crazy with them. You know, that doesn't work. <laughs> oh my god! Because you know, I can, I can, I can only imagine the uh, the level of that rock stardom is like if you don't give a fuck, you don't give a fuck, man. You know what I mean? Because you know, with all the trappings, you know, and the level of, you know, you're a, you're you're a level up from everyday people, man. You're a rock star, yeah, and well, you're an, if you're an an important kind of rock star, it's like you. It's like if I don't want to play, then shit, you know. Yeah, the thing about Lita, Lita wasn't a rock star yet. She hung out, you know, with the rock star boyfriends, uh, but okay. she wasn't a rock star, even though. We toured a lot, and she was selling records. It's not, it's not like she ever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She never, yeah, she, she never broke that. Uh, that uh, yeah. The, one of the bigger bands I was with that broke big was Air Supply. You I managed was, uh, Air Supply? I didn't manage. I was a production manager. Oh, oh okay, okay. It was the first tour so I ever toured been with... on. It was 1980. I was. Uh, in 78, in 78, I moved from Columbus, Ohio, to California to run a rehearsal studio. Okay. That one of my buddies' father owned. They got signed to a record deal, and they were going on tour. And they wanted. They brought me out from Ohio to manage their studio. Uh -huh. So I slept on a couch. Um, the first band I ever met was Chaka Khan and Rufus. Yeah. I worked with them. Oh the Knack, when they were huge. Uh, uh, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, uh, sorry. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So, how does it feel fucking seeing Shaka Khan sing, man? You know what? It was fucking <laughs> incredible. Except, uh -huh. also, it's the 80s. So, in the 80s, there was lots of cocaine. 
Okay. And she did lots of cocaine. Oh, did that did that affect the voice? Well, it didn't affect her voice so much as she would pull up in a limo. The band would be on stage, you know, Rufus practicing, you know, jamming. Uh-huh. She'd kind of walk in, look around, walk out, and leave. <laughs> kind of like the leader, <laughs> you know, just gone. Oh, my God. Yeah. But I really liked working with those guys, and uh, they were cool. They turned me on to taught me how to eat sushi, which I never did before. Uh-huh. And uh, so did, I got so you. Um, was that the first time you went to uh, um, Asia and stuff like that? No, 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 no. I didn't go. At the, I only was a United U.S. production manager. Okay. So I didn't. I didn't tour the world with them. It was their first U.S. tour, and uh, one of my buddies from high school uh-huh. uh, was a head of security for the NAC. Okay. So. Um, they're American, right? American. Yeah, the NAC. My Sharona. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. They're, they're, those they guys were, are American, yeah. Yeah, they had the number one song and album. They were, they thought they were going to be the next Beatles. Yeah, they acted like the Beatles, but you know they weren't. You know, but how, was the, show, but how was the rest of that album? Nothing great. Oh, it was. It sold. I don't know, ten, twenty million records. No, but I mean the rest of the album, the other songs in the album. Yeah, they, they had. Well, they had maybe two hits. Okay. You know, so the yeah, so. It didn't last long. And a lot of it was because the lead singer, Doug Figer, was an asshole. And oh, he, okay. he didn't like press. And he didn't treat the press right. Uh-huh. So any chance, time the press had an opportunity to fuck with him, they did. Oh, yeah. Well, yep. Yeah, he, he ruined a lot of stuff for the group. But um, so my friend, his name was Tico Bob. Uh-huh. He, he was their head of security. Okay. And they had a really major agent named Bob Ring, uh, a William Morris agency, biggest rock agency at the time. He was the biggest rock agent in the world at the time. William Morris, who was originally a, a rock agency for rock bands? No, 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 no. William Morris right. is 100 years old. Oh, know? okay. Yeah, but they, 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 okay. you know, when rock started, they got right into it. Okay, okay. But this guy was a huge agent. And my friend... Tico Bob got to be friendly with, with this Bob Ring, the agent. The agent was suicidal at the time. His wife left him, and he was eating, like, tons of quaaludes, and he, he was he was wanting to kill himself. So my buddy Bob, Tico Bob, got to be really friendly with him okay. and helped him stay alive, basically. He, he was his buddy uh-huh. and, you know, didn't let him go off the deep end. So because wow. of that... This Bob Ring gives him the job as a road manager for air supply. Okay. Now, this guy's never been on the tour before, <laughs> you know, as a yeah. road manager, let alone. And the only reason, the reason he was head of security for the NAC, he was a limo driver before uh-huh. that. Right. And he picked up the band in Atlanta and he was drunk. There's my buddy Bob, Tico Bob. <laughs> yeah. so he's drunk driving a limo for the NAC. Uh-huh. Picks up the lead singer and the manager, wrecks the car. But they liked him so much, and he was a big black guy. Uh-huh. They liked him so much they hired him that you know after he wrecks as the head of security for the group. 
I, I mean, guess yeah, I guess we were having fun inside the car, you know. Exactly. Whatever it was. Whatever it <laughs> yeah, was. yeah, whatever it was. So he calls me. I'm in California playing uh-huh. these little clubs, working at the rehearsal studio. This is Tico Bob. Tico Bob. Okay. We were in, we were in our high school band together, you okay. know. And so, right. and we played football together, wrestled together. You know, we were just, you know, he was like the first black guy I ever met in junior right. high. Yeah. But we, you know, we were friends, always friends. And, um, so we back, called, in, back in back in Ohio. Yeah, he's yeah. We're in Ohio. Wow, I just moved out to California, so yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. 1979. I'm I'm here for a year, and I'm playing in some clubs. But I'm playing Lost in Love. No, no. First, this is before Air Supply. He calls me and he says, "Hey, Gary, this band called the Knack. You know, they want me to come work for them. You know, who are they? Whatever." I said, yeah. "Man." This they got the number one record in the in the world right now, my Sharona. Wow, shit! So he takes the gig, lasts does a whole tour. About a year later, he calls me back and says, "Hey, Gary, th- this agent Bob Ring wants me to be the the road manager for Air Supply, and I, I can't. I don't know what the fuck to do. You know, I don't know what to do." He says, "Why don't you yeah. come out as a production manager?" Because I was the only guy he knew. They knew anything about production, but I was never on tour either. I just was running a rehearsal studio, mm-hmm. you know, with my uh, sound system. I got like a 24 channel board and I'm mixing in a rehearsal studio. Mm-hmm. So me and him get hired with air supply. He's a road manager. I'm the production manager, three buses, three semis full of oh equipment. God. And neither of us has ever been on the road no no experience <laughs> you and tico bob and tico bob yeah oh my god wait, so wait wait um yeah i, I always saw uh, before you continue just a little side uh, sidestep yeah. how the how, who who organizes all of that to get the fucking trucks the fucking me stuff? you me. oh i did it all Holy what fuck. you have to do first you have to hire a sound okay. company, a lighting company, a staging company, uh-huh. a trucking company, a security company. And it doesn't matter if these guys don't know each other. You're just hiring no, no, them. No, 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 not at all. I mean, they're all competing against each other for work. Right. So because of my cousin, Jerry Heller, who's out here in California, and he knows everybody. Right. He says, hey, call Ricky Farr at TFA for sound. Okay. Call so-and-so for lights. Call so and so for staging. So wow. he turned me on, and and the managers of Air Supply, it was uh, they were called Bestel and Reynolds, Fred and Lance, and very nice guys, but also not a lot of experience in in big time management. But Air Supply is starting to take off. Yeah, you know, lost in love, all out of love, and I'm playing these songs in the clubs, and then Tico Bob calls me. To is, say this, is this just from a first album? What's that? All those hits were from their first album or something during that time? You know, I, they did an album in, I think, in Australia. Okay, right, yeah, right. Yeah. First American album. Yeah. But they got signed to uh, a Clive Davis in Arista. Oh, he discovered Air Supply? Yeah. Um, wow. No, he didn't discover them. They, they were already getting popular. Okay. Um, and so he made them, he made them huge. As a production manager, I would have to advance every show, meaning we uh-huh. got 30 shows okay. over two months or three months. 
So you got to call the. So wait, the, 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 you are production manager or road manager? Pro, or I'm production manager. Okay. So I'm and in the, charge of all the production. First oh, one in, last one out. God damn. Bob is in charge of the band, the band in the hotels. So he gets he he's with the band all the time. They're in a hotel. I we drive the bus into some city seven o'clock in the morning. There's twelve union road crew hands waiting for us. Okay. Okay. Right. So which in I every, have in every everybody. in every venue. Every venue, I it's called advancing. So I have to okay. advance every show. So I, you know, so back then, you know, no computers or anything. So you know, you call them, you got a sheet. This is the promoter. He tells you who the uh, caterer is. You give him a contract of what you want backstage. I want Jack Daniels. I want tequila. You know, right. I yeah. want M and M's. Whatever it is, you, you talk to the caterer. This is the food we want for the meals. So um, who's Who's paying for all of this? The promoter pays for everything. Okay? Because for, the promoter is already um, has all his people that do this anyway. So okay. what happens is uh, the band gets usually a 50% deposit on their that goes to the agent. And the agent holds on to it okay. until after the gig is over. Right. And everything is settled. The first 50%? The the, the 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 group already has 50%. Uh, okay, the and then the rest. So, so if the, the promoter cancels yeah, for he, some, he, some reason, at least yeah. you got 50% of what you were supposed to make. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah so that was, that, you know, so we had to learn so fast, you know. So so even the, I'm sorry, so even yeah. the truck, the rent, the, tr the, uh, the light rental, the stage rental, all of that, the promoter will pay for that. No, no, no. What we that's would what do, I, that's, that's yeah, what yeah, I yeah, for for the um the the, the you know you kind of work a deal with the not the band's money uh -huh. but a between the agent and the the promoter. So we didn't you know we didn't have to um, we hire them but we didn't pay them. They got paid weekly through uh, you know the agency and. Uh, And, and the promoter would have his own people there because, you know, there's a lot of pre-sales on tickets yeah. on these shows. And, and a lot of them were sold out already. So, you know, and again, I wasn't, I, didn't, I wasn't in charge of any of the money stuff. Right. I was kind of in charge of personnel and... Uh, you, were and the, that, you were like the foreman. Yeah, I was kind of like the foreman, exactly. Yeah. I First in, last one out. Right. Every gig. Yeah. The sergeant. Yeah, and I, I was in charge of sound check, which was cool too. Oh, the band had his own people, but you know, I was there messing around on the microphones, playing their guitars. Yeah, yeah, stuff, yeah. All this stuff, and uh, and I we lasted three years. We did three years of touring, um, and eventually, after the second year, we had a gig in Cleveland, Ohio, which is my hometown. Uh huh. A place called the Front Row Theater, and the opening act didn't show up. Okay. So the promoter knew me from Columbus because I was kind of a big shot player in Columbus. Right. He says, "Gary, why don't you open the show?" <laughs> and the band really didn't even know I played. I mean, I never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything. Yeah. So at the last, so at the last minute, uh, 
I grab one of their guitars. They say, it's okay. I open the show and I go over really well. I do Stairway to Heaven, American Pie. Wow. You played the whole Stairway? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do it in my own version. Mm-hmm. Okay, but, okay. But, but it's good, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, Satisfaction. I know what songs work because I've been playing in clubs my whole life. Right, okay. You know? So I do like a 20-minute set. It goes over great. Also, I'm in Cleveland with a lot of my home, my family and friends. So I get to open 10 more shows as the opening act for Air Supply. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so cool, man. Yeah, so, hey, so and Cleveland, Cleveland is, is known to be a rock and roll town, right? Yeah, rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. It's kind of oh the... And um, so, how are how are the guys in Air Supply? I mean, the, how, you know was what? that their was that their first American tour or something? Their first American tour. Wow, and they were great. They were great guys to work with, yeah. especially the lead singer Russell Hitchcock. Uh-huh. Nice guy. We got to be really good friends. You uh-huh. know, we're still Facebook friends. And uh, anytime they're playing anywhere in the country, if I have somebody that you know they say, "Hey, can you get me tickets?" He always gets them backstage. You know, I, I send yeah. a, you know, and he always get takes care of my people. So yeah, he's good. The other guy, Graham Russell, who's the tall, blonde-haired, he yep. writes all the songs. Uh, and he's he's ooh, a little ooh. more cool. He's what? He's a little more quiet and subdued. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's from Sherwood Forest in England. He's English, and Russell is a wow. Sherwood Forest, though. It was all Australian band. You know, they were all Australian. But as the years went, they kind of replaced people and uh, things changed. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that voice, right? That. <laughs> yeah, that's that voice. It's like such a unique voice. You know, I'm not, you know, to me, uh, you know, at, during that time, I was like maybe seven, eight years old. Yeah. So I was already aware of music. You know, in in the in the in the in the grocery, you know, yeah, yeah, in, yeah, in the taxi cab, and it would be Air Supply and Rod Stewart and all of that, you know, in the Philippines, you know, because we would, even though it was martial law, somehow rock and roll had seeped in, you know, and the yeah. government really didn't care <laughs> about because it was American music. We're like, oh, the Americans are are cool. You can play their yeah. music, you know, and yeah, uh, eight top ten song hits in a row. I mean, they were doing really fucking amazing. Yeah. And then I kind of saw the end of it too. Um, and then well, did they did they break up? No, they didn't break up, but they were blackballed from the industry. Oh shit! What happened and, there? And here's what happened. This is kind of a cool story. Oh my god! You ever hear of a guy named Don Arden? Yes. Now Sharon He's, Arden, uh, Sharon Osbourne's dad. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. okay. Conard was a gangster. He was just an out and out English thug gangster. And he came in and stole the band from their original managers, Bestel and Reynolds. He kind of did a Suge Knight, you know? I mean, he just kind of, kind of gangstered his. He muscled his way in there. He muscled his way in. And uh, I worked for him. The last, my last gig was when he took over. And we had a gig in Hawaii, and that was my last gig with them. Uh, but um, what he did, he threatened Clive Davis. 
shit. And you know, Clive Davis, and, so, and and he lived in here in L.A. or yeah, he was in Beverly Hills, huge oh, man. Okay. But he's English. And he he was managing Black Sabbath. Yeah, he's an old one of the old old school managers. Okay. Um, and and uh, and my cousin Jerry Heller used to was the agent for ELO and Black Sabbath when he managed him. So Jerry told me what a crazy guy he was. And oh. they used to each other all the time because Jerry was crazy too. Shit. You know, Jerry carried guns all the time. So they would threaten each other all the time. But when he threatened Clive Davis, that was the end of Air Supply's kind of original career. You was, know, he was their manager. That, he was after, their manager at that time when when he Don Arden was the manager. Okay. And 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 and, and he threatened Clive Davis and Clive Davis basically cut those guys off in the industry. As far as any new hits, new albums, after that, all they did were greatest hits, or um, they did, they could tour, but nobody, no labels would re-sign them. So was was Clive Davis there on the label? He ran Arista Records. Oh, and they were on Arista? It was on Arista, exactly. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Wow, man! Shit, yeah, you, so you fucking all that. when you threaten the boss, man. What do you expect, dude? He threatened me too. He threatened me, Don Arden. What? Uh, he owed me five thousand dollars from shit, work, man. and he wasn't going to pay me. Fuck. Or maybe three thousand. I don't know. So yeah. I took him to small claims court, and he threatened me, but I didn't give a fuck, you know. Yeah. So it, how it, it ended up, his assistant was a guy named Pat Siciliano, Italian guy who I knew who I knew and was friends with for years before he worked for Don Arden. So I knew this guy. Okay. So between me and Pat, he got Pat got me paid the day before we were going to go to court. Uh, so, <laughs> so that was good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, you got lucky, man. I did get lucky. Well, <laughs> I would have won in small claims court. He wouldn't have showed up. I, I'm sure of that. Yeah, but no, maybe it saved you the hassle of all of that shit. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. not the first time I've been threatened. <laughs> oh man. So, um, so, so, okay. So, uh, how? So, late '70s, Ramones come out. The the British. New wave stuff comes out. What was your what was your thing with that? So 73, 73 is when I quit air supply. 74, 75, uh, I started uh, road managing different acts. Lita Ford was one of them. Uh-huh. Jeff Lorber, Fusion. I don't know if you ever heard of him. No. Keyboard player, great keyboard player. Uh, I went on tour with him. Um, and then I'm and but the whole time I'm singing at this club in Woodland Hills called Pickwick's Pub. I started there in the early 80s, you know, 81 or 82. Uh-huh. And I'm always playing. Every time I get off tour, I always go back and play, always play. So this band kind of approached me at Pickwick's Pub called Hurricane. And they just started. It was the Younger Brothers of Quiet Riot. Rudy Sarzo's younger brother, Tony. Oh, wow. Carlos Cavazzo's younger brother. Uh, no, it was oh, Robert Sarzo, uh, Rudy's brother. Yeah. 
and Tony Cavazza, which is Carlos Cavazza's brother. Uh, what? What? Where's Where's uh, Where's uh, Cavazzo from? Is, uh, he is he Cuban too, or is he Mexican? No, uh, Sarzo's Cuban. Yeah, Sarzo's Cuban. Yeah, Rudy, yeah. Rudy and, and Robert are Cuban. Uh, Cavazzo's, I think, are Mexican. They're Mexican, right? I think. I think. Yeah. Man, what, what a cool band Quiet Ride was, man. Yeah, yeah, they were great. <laughs> we spent a lot of time with those guys. We opened for them. You know, they were fun guys. But um, so I didn't want to be a road manager anymore. I didn't okay. want to be a production manager anymore. I wanted to be a manager. Okay. You know, to keep moving up. Uh huh. So I got the opportunity to be to manage this band called Hurricane. So it's like the first band I, I was a personal manager. Right. And so uh, it was great. You know, we, I got them a, a, a kind of a small deal with uh, a company called Green uh, Green World, which is part of Enigma, uh-huh. which was part of Capital. So I mean, so it had distribution. Yeah. And these guys were. You know, they were, uh, it was a heavy metal band, you know, back like, you know, uh, like Motley Crue and uh, those guys. But the big, with the big hair and stuff. Big hair, good looking. Yeah. You know, tight pants. Uh, you know, <laughs> we played up and down the Sunset Strip. Shit. Okay, 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 okay. This is, okay, this is getting fun, man. Okay, now we're in the Sunset Strip years. Dude, you've been through it all, man. <laughs> it's like me. It's like when I uh, uh, when I bring when friends come over from the Philippines or wherever you know, and then and then you know they like rock music. I always bring them to whiskey and show yeah. them like the plaque, like on the sidewalk. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like all these bands started not just played here, but started here. You know, this yeah. is their origin, their gig. I mean, their their venue of origin. You the know. Rainbow. Yeah, the rainbow. Oh rainbow, Roxy, whiskey, troubadour. So when did uh, I? I mean, it's like it, it's funny. Um, even my dad, because I, I'm I'm not sure. I think the Doors movie was playing on TV, and then there were scenes, of course, from the whiskey. You know, yeah, yeah. And then my dad was either just in the room or walking past the TV. It's like, oh, Whiskey and Google, I went there. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what do you say you went to the Whiskey and Google? Yeah, when we went to LA in, in 1969, I think he was here. Yeah, know. that's when I was there. Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah, the, the girls are dancing. I might you know? have been there the same day your dad was. Yeah, man. <laughs> I might so be like, your dad, who knows? Yeah, it's it's fun to, to know snippets like that because to him it was nothing. To him probably it was just a nightclub you know the yeah. in you know the most famous nightclub in LA but of course yeah. for me it's deeper than that it's like the doors were there man you don't right. <laughs> yeah. uh, everyone was there wow so, so the, we would go up and down and play all the gigs on sunset strip you know we'd walk the streets and give out tickets you know with the girls and yeah. the rehearse and it was just so much fun was this during the weekend during the week Week, weekend, you know, it's like this was we this is our full-time gig now. You know, I'm a full-time manager, they're a full-time band. We had a rehearsal place in Burbank uh-huh. to work out, you know, and uh everybody got endorsements. Jay got Tama endorsements, and uh, nice. I think Dalton symbols and Robert and Tony got PV, you know, and, and so I worked all those deals, you know, helping everybody get what they needed. And we got uh, boots and, 
and we were we did we did we're doing okay. Um, the first album, uh, we sold about two hundred thousand units. Wow! You know, we, didn't, we didn't break out anything big. Yeah. The second record, um, I got two guys to co-produce the record. Uh huh. Bob Ezrin. Fuck. And Mike Clink. Uh, I I recognize Mike Clink's name, but I'm not Mike sure. Mike Clink just finished the first Guns N' Roses record, produced it. What do you mean the the new? There's Appetite, a new album. Appetite for Destruction. Oh oh, he recorded it. He produced it. He was oh. the producer. Okay. Welcome oh, to the jungle, shit. Mr. Brownstone. That oh, was all. Yeah. And he was a friend of mine. So, and it was before <laughs> it hit. So I got him and Bob Ezrin. And Bob Ezrin did The Wall. Bob Ezrin did The Wall. Oh, he, did, you know, he did Alice Cooper. He did Kiss. He, he did, did Aerosmith, right? Huh? He did Aerosmith in the, the, when, they, when they came back from rehab. Yeah, yeah, he did yeah. one of one of the Aerosmiths. Yeah. But he was a friend of mine. I, his daughter worked for me. She was like an intern and stuff. Holy shit. So I kind of knew these people as friends, you know, and um, they were way bigger time than I was, but they yeah. liked, liked them. So they co-produced the record. Um, and, but we never had, we never got any hits. You know, we, there was a lot of competition at that time. There was, You know, there was Guns N' Roses, there was Motley Crue, there was Poison. Uh -huh. You know, and we'd open for Poison, we'd open for Warrant, you know, things like that. Yeah. But um, our lead singer, Kelly, who now has been with Foreigner for about the last 10 years, he was a great singer, but he kind of was like, he was like too many other people. He was kind of like Mick Jagger, he was kind of like Steven uh, Tyler. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. He wasn't that original, he had a great voice. Um But we're doing good. We're touring all over the United States. We're opening for a group called Striper. I don't know if you know Striper. Oh, yeah, Striper, yeah. Christian band. Yeah. We did a whole tour with them. We'd open for Gary Moore. We'd open for Iron Maiden. So we toured all over the wow. U.S. And things are really going good, you know. And, uh -huh. and all of a sudden, and now we're in 1988, So all of a sudden, the band comes over to my house, and they fire me. Oh, fuck. What the fuck? Rod Stewart's managers stole them from me, basically. Oh, shit. Yeah, Arnold Stiefel and Randy Phillips. Uh, through a friend of mine who was, you know, kind of their a road, Rod Stewart's road manager, he thought this was going to be a great band, so he got Stiefel and Phillips to come over and basically steal them from me. Which oh they did. So and and nobody cares. Whatever. It's like I I can make you bigger star than yeah. Him. Of course, I'm gonna make you a fucking star. You're gonna open for Rod Stewart. Oh, Now, okay. And I said, guys, you're a heavy metal band. You yeah. can't open for Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart doesn't have heavy metal bands opening for him. Number one. Yeah. Number two, they, the Stephen Phillips got all these huge acts. You're on the bottom of the totem pole. Now, what I always thought. Uh-huh. Was Arnold Stiefel, who is still Rod Stewart's manager, I think, is very gay. Okay. And I always thought he wanted our lead singer. I thought the whole thing was about him having our lead singer. We, we wasn't gay <laughs> at all, you know? But yeah. I mean, that's how warped it was back then. 
Oh my so, God. I put about $80,000 of my own money into the band. Oh, shit. Paying rent, you know, yeah. buying this, buying that. You know, I mean, I really believed it was my first band. I really believed this, we were going to make it. It was going to be huge because everybody else was blowing up. Motley Crue, you know, Poison, Guns N' Roses, all this stuff. And we were good, but we weren't that good. Yeah. And so I called my cousin, Jerry Heller. I say, Jerry, these motherfuckers just fired me. Shit. You know, Rod Stewart's fucking managers. He said, fuck those guys. I want you to come work with me with Eze and NWA. Oh, my God, man. See? See, there. that's like a perfect example, man. It's like you, a door gets slammed. <laughs> right. But a fucking window is just open already. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the thing about Jerry was, while I'm managing Hurricane, he would come over to my house uh-huh. and play me cassettes of Straight Outta Compton, Shit, Boys man. in the Hood, Gangster Gangster, Fuck the Police. I mean, all these stuff. The, the demos? Demos. Before Holy they were, shit. Before they were records. <gasps> and I, I thought he was out of his fucking mind. What, what did you think when you I first thought, heard I it? I thought he was crazy. He said, you can't fucking, you can't say fuck the police. You know, you're not going to be able to tour anywhere. You're not going to be able to play this on the radio. No, but, but what I mean, no, what I mean, how about you? What was your reaction to the music? Itself? Well, I, I wasn't a rap fan. You know, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a classic rock right. guy. I always have been. I wasn't a heavy metal fan either. Right. You know, I'm, I'm always a Beatles, Eagles, you know, kind of right. guy. Uh-huh. Still am. So it wasn't my favorite music. I thought it was okay. It wasn't like I was against rap. Yeah. You know, but I wasn't. It, but he would play the hardcore gangster rap, which was brand new on the West Coast. And on really, the they weren't even really doing it in New York yet. Yeah. So it was but, running. But, but, hip-hop, but hip-hop was already not really in the mainstream, but in... Right. It was just starting. It was just starting. The whole New York thing was starting. And and the West Coast, all we really had was um, um, iced tea, kind of yeah. was for us. Right. But he would play all this stuff, man. I thought he was out of his fucking mind. <laughs> said, man, he said, Gary, you're not going to, you watch. You're not going to believe what's going to happen. This is going to be the biggest music ever. This so this band, is, this is, man, is going to be the Rolling Stones of rap. Shit, man. So this is all already, when, when he, when he, when he lets you listen to this, he already saw them play live and all of that. No, this is even before he saw play. Well, it's right at the beginning. So right. the first he, he heard him, because he didn't have a lot of live gigs, you know, back okay. in those days. Okay. And, and and he was already, the thing is, he was already managing the world-class wrecking crew, which was the group that Dr. Dre was in and, and DJ Yellow was in. Oh, okay, okay. And Alonzo was in. You know, if you saw the movie, remember in the movie where they, they were had this band That, you know, and, and Jerry was the manager of that band. Oh. See, he was managing some of these new um, acts. Yeah. Because he was friends with a guy who um, did all the pressing of all the records. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but uh, he called Jerry and said, man, you don't know what's going on down here. Every week these guys are driving down from Compton and I'm pretty oh, yeah. 
of printing up 20,000, you know, EP yeah. singles and they're selling them at the swap meets. That's in, the, that's in the movie. The that's in the movie, right? It just, it's in the movie. It's all in the yeah. movie. It's really kind of what was going on. Yeah. And so, the, and it, during this time, I'm managing Hurricane. He's playing me this stuff. I'm thinking he's crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, it's like I see the whole thing happen. He gets him the record deal. He Everybody passes. All the major guys he knew, Joe Smith, yeah. you know, all the guys from the major labels, yeah. none of them wanted to touch this. So he really believed in them, huh? He totally believed in this. Yeah. To 100%. Yeah. You know, and he loved it. And him and Easy were like, it was like fucking uh, Laurel and Hardy. I mean, these guys, <laughs> they were together all the time. It was the funniest thing you ever saw. Really? And, yeah. And um, they got along. So, oh, oh, very well, very well. They got along almost the whole time until the end, and but that's yeah. that's another story. You yeah, know? yeah, that's already. But, but at this time, Jerry is look. Jerry's a, you know he's in the music business. Yeah. He knows everybody. He knows all the lawyers. He knows how to do contracts. He knows everything. Yeah. So he finally gets him a gig with Priority Records, Brian Turner, and the reason he goes to Brian Turner. Uh -huh. is because they have offices in the same building. It's a yeah. CNN building on Sunset and... and oh, and yeah. So he knew him from that. The only hit Brian Turner had was the California Raisins. Do you know what the, the California Raisins are? Yeah, the song. What song? The, the song that the Raisins sing? No, California Raisins. Oh, the Raisins itself, the company. No, the California Raisins was a commercial where yeah. these raisins did, um, they, they did, heard uh, uh, it through the grapevine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like raisins, you know? I mean, yeah, it was, yeah. it was not, it was crazy. It had nothing to do with rock and roll or. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, oh my God, wow. He did compilation records. So yeah. he put a bunch of records, so, but Brian and, and Jerry, Jerry took Brian to a show. He sold them on it. Brian signed the group. And now we have worldwide distribution. Fuck. Wow, he, then, had world, he had worldwide distribution? Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, through Capital. And so oh, then, okay. so, okay, this, this is all before, I'm still with Hurricane. Yeah. All stuff. So when Jerry, when Hurricane fires me, Jerry says, you know, fuck those guys. We're doing a U.S. tour, and I want you to go out and be the production manager on the NWA tour. Shit. You know, because you know, you know how to do this stuff. You know, I can trust you. Yeah. You can be my eyes on the road. Yeah. And so he hires me and he hires a guy named Atron Gregory as the road manager. Right. Atron Gregory is the manager of the uh, Digital Underground. Oh, okay. Remember the Digital Underground? Yeah. Uh, um, with uh, what was that guy? The guy Hoppity Hop or. Um, uh, the guy with the big nose? With the big nose, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But also, Tupac was in that group. Yeah, he was a dancer. Yeah, and, and Atron, was, Tup Atron has, was Tupac's manager until he died. Oh, okay. So this is who I was on the road with, who was a great guy. So me and Atron, kind of like with Air Supply with me and Tico Bob, Yeah. same thing. But now we're with the most dangerous group in the world. God damn. Everybody hates us. God Everywhere damn. Everywhere we go, you know, 
It's like everywhere, and you know, and we did fuck the police. So already the FBI has contacted the record company and said they don't want uh, any of the police to show up at any of the shows. I mean, it was crazy. Was 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 fuck the police the first single? No, no, no. There was no singles. It wasn't like oh, it just everyone just knew the song. Yeah, yeah. You know, they just you know, Boys in the Hood was the first thing you heard, right? You know. And the thing about Easy, and with the movie, 75% of it is true. Uh-huh. 25% are total lies. Okay. But you had Dr. Dre and Ice Cube and Tamika Woods as producers of the movie. So you got what uh-huh. they wanted people to see. Right. But a lot of that wasn't true. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, we did a tour and, um, and we went to um, England And we went to France. We did some How shows. was it in Europe? Were they were the police there more offended than Americans? No, no, nobody was offended. Hardly anybody was really offended, you know? I mean, a lot of it was hype. But oh, no, really? Europe, we had no problems. They didn't really know that well about the group. It wasn't like we were so popular there as we were here. Right. But we, you know, we sold 20,000 seats in, in Oakland. 20,000 seats at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Wow. You know, we did 20,000 at Joe Louis Arena in Detroit. You know, so, you know, we were selling a lot of tickets and selling a lot of records. Were you still getting hassled by, by the you man? You know what? I, <laughs> I was, there was two white guys on tour. Okay. Me and the lighting guy. And everybody else was black. Okay. It, it, we had a road, we had a road case with guns in it oh my god you know uzis and the shit with the red shit. you know the, the, i mean the lasers the, the lasers yeah oh I mean, my god but um luckily nobody got shot but uh yeah yeah so but yeah then, but then yeah you i mean for a group like that especially if you go i don't know to the south You know, it's like you got to oh, yeah. defend yourself, man. <laughs> you know, we did this out. We did all over the U.S. And uh, did you did you run it in, in, into any racist trouble and stuff like that? You know what? Most of the crowds were white anyway. Huh. You know, it wasn't uh, you know, and the racist stuff. I, I can't remember all of it now, but it right. didn't seem like we had that much trouble. The biggest problems were really with the guys and and, and girls. You know. You know, messing around with girls, and and you know, we had a couple problems with that. Oh, with, uh, with what do you mean? Oh, with groupies and stuff. Yeah, groupies and yeah, oh, underage. Okay, yeah. You know, I mean, these oh, guys. Oh, yeah. That, you know, they're on the run. They've never been out of California, most of them ever. Yeah. And now we're on planes, and like the first, our first gig, it was in Nashville, and they all got kicked off the first flight they were on in in Phoenix. <laughs> Everyone, I'm in Nashville, <laughs> set up, waiting at the rest at the airport for them to come off the plane. None of them show up. I called. They never reached. They got kicked off in Phoenix <laughs> because the smallest girl, uh, Baby D from JJ Fad. Remember that girl group JJ Fad Supersonic? Yeah, 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 yeah. See, so so because we took groups with us. Right, you know, Kwame, uh, Kid and Play. It would DLT. be more. It, so, yeah, what would be like um, what would be a typical show of of that? Was it like a variety show? Or? It was like a 
variety show, yeah. Yeah, like like the 60s. How like they the did 60s, it. right, right, like yeah. Big Park uh, touring. So we'd have five or six groups, wow. maybe even have a local rap group open. Right. And then get them on. You know, my, I'm the stage manager, production manager. I get them on and off stage. Uh, NWA is always the, uh, you know, the stars. Yeah. And so, uh, and it was just, it was like bizarre. The whole thing was bizarre. I was like the the white guy that would have to deal with the police, you know, the security, yeah, yeah. The city council, you know, the mayor. I mean, whoever was worried about shit. Yeah. You know, I'm always the one talking them down. And, <laughs> it's like, you know, don't worry. Not, These people are not savages. You know? Exactly. Even <laughs> These people they are, nor they're normal people, man. <laughs> yeah. You know. I'm telling you, man, it was so much fun. And I was so angry from getting fired from Hurricane. Yeah. That every day I would listen all day to NWA and Easy. Every, uh, you know, straight out of Compton, crazy motherfucking name, Ice Cube. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I was just so I get into it so much that also at sound checks, you know, there's five mics. I'm up there rapping kind of before the band shows up. Oh my god, that's so cool, man! Yeah, it was it was so much fun. I tell you, I've been in two documentaries already. Uh-huh. One called Facing Suge Knights, okay, and one called Death Row Chronicles that okay. have already been shown. Uh, I already did an interview for a new documentary coming out on Easy E. It'll come out sometime this year. I'm not sure when, but it'll it'll be probably the most accurate yeah. documentary on what really went on with NWA. Wow. So let's let's talk about them, man. I mean, and not them. I don't really want to, you know. I mean, uh, go deep into their personalities, but as musicians, were they unique? That that how was well, their chemistry? Kind of what was their chemistry like? Huh? None of them were musicians. No, but I mean, in their own way. I mean, as rappers, or were they? They were. were great. They were all beginners, right? They were all beginners. Dre was amazing as a producer and uh -huh. as a, you know, because he was on the turntables for a long time before even NWA. So, right. yeah. you know, he was he was state of the art. He was the number one kind of producer in the, at that time. Wow. Fiala was a great engineer too and a good kind of co-producer. But uh, as far as rapping goes, Ice Cube was unbelievable. Shit. Great writer, great rapper. MC Ren, hard motherfucker. You know, also great rapper. Dre was great at what he did. But Easy, Easy never wanted to fucking be on stage. Yeah. He never wanted to rap. Easy wanted to be rich, famous. He wanted to be Barry Gordy. You know, he wanted to own his own record company and he wanted to get out of the drug business, which is oh, what he was in. Right. You know, he was in the crack business. Right. And he was a big dealer. Wow. And he wanted to get Lee because he saw a lot of his friends dead, uh -huh. jail. So he saw an opportunity to clean up his act, get into real business. And, and Jerry had helped him do that. So between the two of them, you know, uh, Easy with was conceptualize things. Uh, Dre would musicalize things. Jerry would uh, okay. 
things. So everybody right. was kind of in their own lane. But but combining everything, it would be all of magic. that. It was magic. It would be magic, yeah. It was magic, I'm telling you. When, yeah. you know, it was so great. And uh, But like, like all things, uh, when Suge Knight came in the picture... Man, that was bad news. Suge Knight was the, the um, bodyguard for the DOC. D DOC would have been the greatest rapper maybe ever. Okay. He was that good. Who, who, uh, is, what, who is he? I, I don't even know. You, you, you do, your, do your homework on the DOC. DOC, okay. Yeah, DOC, yeah. He was with us. He was from Houston, Um his name is Tracy Curry, is his name. Uh -huh. And uh, he did It's a Diggy Diggy Doctor. He, we, we had a great record, his solo album. And we did, a, we did a video one night. We did two videos in a day. And, and that night, he fell asleep at the wheel, got into an accident in Woodland Hills, flew out of his car, car turned over. Oh, had shit. A he flew out. He didn't have a seatbelt on, which saved his life, actually. Wow. He flew out of the car, but he fucked up his throat. Out of everything on his body, oh my he God. fucked up his throat. So Jerry called me. Jerry found out that night. I went right to the hospital. I was the first one at the hospital, and uh, it was horrible. But what, what happened? Why his throat? He landed on his he neck landed or on his face or throat. I don't oh know. Oh my happened. god! But then he started talking like this, oh. like this exactly. He went from a great. He was fast. He was quick. He uh -huh. was amazing. Wait till you hear him. Wait till you hear him. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Just all this stuff. So yeah. it was amazing. But uh, and he, but he smoked a lot of pot and he drank a lot of beer and uh, and so he wouldn't go to rehab. We, we had a physical therapist for his throat, uh -huh. and he never stopped smoking. He never stopped drinking. He really didn't help himself when he should have. Yeah. So that was the end of his rap career. Wow. But what he did, he brought in Suge Knight. And Suge moved in to Dre and tried to convince Dre uh -huh. to leave Ruthless and go with him. Right. And that's kind of what the Straight Outta Compton movie you know you saw a lot of that there yeah but uh some scary business dude it got real scary shit it got real scary it got so scary that um we we had these really we started in this real shitty one room office that jerry's brother had a la times uh in an industrial complex a little kind of like he give the paper boys and yeah. we had one phone it was shitty once we started making lots of money, we, we moved into a beautiful offices in Woodland Hills. Beautiful. Yeah. Suge started coming by threatening us. So yeah. we had to start working out of my house, you know, in Sherman Oaks. So, you know, nobody would come to the office. So it got to be scary. And then Jerry brought in this Israeli terrorist <laughs> named Mike Klein. I mean, he wasn't really a terrorist. <laughs> he's like a Mossad. Mossad. Yeah, he was. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this guy was from the Israeli army. God and this damn. guy, the first time I ever saw a picture of him, he was holding two decapitated heads. 
<gasps> he, was in, he was in his uniform, his army uniform. Holy shit. Yeah, that's the first time I ever saw him. So Jerry brought him in to deal with Suge. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I got to ask. He's like, where the fuck did Jerry meet this guy, man? You know what? He was, he had a, in the same complex that we had that, the uh, LA Times thing, he had some kind of other business going on. Okay. So Jerry knew him from that. He was a businessman, you know, very right. smart, very shrewd, but also he had a security company. So if anybody, oh. you know, like if, if you want to hire like Tom Cruise or somebody, some big time people need serious security. Right. My client would come in. And, so he brought in Animal and Big Mike. He's got <laughs> like 400 pound, you know, monsters. Oh my God. Animal and Big Mike. <laughs> right. Yeah. Great okay, guy. How, how, how big was Big Mike, dude? Big Mike played, he played uh, professional football for a while, but he had, didn't have one inch of fat on him. He was probably oh, about wow. six, five, 280 or something. I mean, he was just solid. Oh my God. And he always wears sunglasses, so you never saw. His eyes. He's, yeah, you don't know where he's looking. You don't know. You don't, you don't know what's going on behind that. Yeah. <laughs> and he always had these steel boots. He had these oh, steel boots fuck. he always wear. Wore. Yeah. One time, just to fuck with me, just kicked me in my shin. Oh my god! So I could feel what it felt like. It, it, it's unbelievable. An animal. Shit. The animal. Me and animal got to be great friends over the years. Animal after NWA. He was uh, David Lee Roth's um, bodyguard, so he tur- he toured with uh, with Van Halen. My God! Ooh. Come to Popo. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but Mike Klein, he took care of business right away. You know, it's uh, he got right in Suge's face, and we were never threatened after that. Wow. But, Wait, so, so, did you witness this? You know what? I was in one room. They were in uh-huh. another. Oh, okay. And the room I was in, Suge walked in, closed the door behind him, and walked right up to me. And he 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 was one of our bodyguards. So you know, we knew him as a bodyguard. He was a oh, friendly guy okay. and everything. So he goes. from one of our body I mean, oh okay wait wait you uh, you got cut off so yeah yeah something just happened there uh, yeah 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 but so what he, i was saying he yeah, goes uh, yeah he was one of our bodyguards next thing we know he's stealing dre away from us shit and so uh and and uh but um so what happened was the the, like the Mossad guy you saw in the movie where uh dre calls up easy and says, let's meet at the studio mm-hmm. and we'll take care of the problem. You know, the whole death row problem. Right. Easy goes to the studio without his bodyguards. Dre's not there, but Suge and all these bloods are there waiting for wow. Easy. And they have a contract for him to sign, to sign over Dre, Michelle and the DOC mm. to Suge. And these guys got ball bats and clubs and they threatened to kill him, kill his mother, and kill Jerry Heller all at the same time. Holy shit. So in the movie, it shows that they beat him up, but they never touched him. It, 
Easy yeah. signed it, and then the next day, uh, you know, we did a press release on really what happened and all. Oh, but, really? Uh, you went public with it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But at that point, Dre, uh, Sh- Dre went, not Dre, uh, Suge had a lawyer, and they went to uh, Interscope. And they talked uh, Jimmy Iovine from Interscope. Uh, right. Into signing, you know, Death Row. I mean, to having Death Row as a label. So it was too late for us to fight it. So what we did was Easy ended up getting a override on, uh, you know, on all the Death Row records. So he got three points on on everything that Dre did on the Chronic, yeah. uh, Eminem, <clears throat> Snoop Dogg. Oh my God! So, so instead of fighting it, they let it go. Yeah. We got an override. In the time, we had Bone Thugs and Harmony, oh, which okay. was a big group at the time. Yeah. So, uh, um, so we were fine. We were keep. We we're going to keep moving. Can I take a short break and uh, run? Yeah, man. Real quick? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, man. Hey, sisters and brothers, I have a new sponsor. My friends Gary and Mary Lou from AlkalineWaterSoGood.com. They are international Kangen water distributors. Kangen water is delicious water created from Enagic's innovative water technology. Enagic is 56-year-old Japanese company with 40 offices in 23 countries, including an office in Manila and eight offices in the U.S. And it is the leading manufacturer of alkaline ionizers and water filtration machines in the world. Not only do these devices filter your tap water, but they also produce ionized alkaline and acidic waters through electrolysis. These waters can be used for various purposes, including drinking, cooking, beauty, and cleaning. Can you imagine never buying bottled water again? The plastic and bottled water often contains BPA and other chemicals, which are proven to be hazardous to your health. And how much fun is it lugging cases of it from the market, recycling it, and you know, plastic is an environmental nightmare. According to Gary, it's also a great way to add an additional income stream. He's been selling machines for over 12 years internationally, and everyone needs the healthiest water in the world. So folks, if you have any questions about Kangen Water, check out their website at alkalinewatersogood.com. That's alkalinewatersogood.com. Or you can email them at gary at garyballin.com. Gary Ballin with two L's dot com. Okay, I'm back, buddy. Amen. Hmm. Gosh, this, it's so, uh, <laughs> it's unbelievable, man. <laughs> that fucking shit. Because <laughs> that's all, um, how, what was the rest of the world? Did they know all of this was happening? Well, some people knew it. Uh-huh. And also there was, um, you know, there's a lot of press at the time. You know, everybody had publicists. We oh, had publicists, okay. you know. We had lawsuits. We were suing them. You know, I mean, there was all kind of stuff going on. We filed a RICO uh, statute, you know, organized crime. Oh, wow. Had, yeah, yeah. We had a, a lawyer from Boston came out who was an expert at, uh, you know, uh, going after gangsters and things like that. Right. And so because 
there was a lot of people involved in this takeover, you know, yeah. shouldn't have, you know, shouldn't have done it, you know, yeah. but, but eventually everything just got settled so we could just kind of move on. And, and we still had Bone Thugs and Harmony, still selling millions of records. Easy's getting an override on everything Death Row does. Wow. And they're doing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, you know. And then Easy, uh, we get a call. We're in the office and we get a call from his bodyguards and say, man, Easy just, he, we had to call 911 because he couldn't breathe. Uh huh. So they take him to a hospital in, in uh, um, Norwalk, which is part of L.A. Yeah. And uh, he had asthma and he smoked a lot of weed and all. But this was kind of different. Yeah. And the next thing we know, they move him to uh, Cedar sinai in, in Beverly Hills, which is yeah. a big hospital. Uh-huh. And, and he's got AIDS. Full-blown AIDS already. Full-blown. But the thing is, the last time I saw him was a month before he died. One month. Okay. And and what was going on towards the end, like in the movie, uh, Easy's girlfriend, Tamika, was kind of working against Jerry. This Mike Klein that Jerry brought in Uh was working against Jerry. Yeah. He kind of moved in as hanging out with Easy all the time. Right. And he went from head of security to head of business affairs. Wow. In the company. So yeah. now Easy isn't talking to Jerry at all. And I'm the go-between. You know, Jerry's still running the company. So whenever there's contracts to be signed, checks to be signed, Jerry would give it to me. I'd go drive over to the deli and meet with Easy and Mike Klein. Uh-huh. And, and Easy would sign whatever he wanted to sign. Right. So and 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 I kept saying, "Easy, please just talk to Jerry," because Jerry was losing his mind. Because they went through so much together, yeah. And now he's kind of being pushed out. Wow! Because so, of, uh, because of the other dude. Yeah, because of Klein, and also, yeah. you know, I think Tamika. There was some deal that Tamika brought to Easy that Jerry just said it was a horrible deal. You shouldn't do it. Yeah, it was a game, but it was. Whatever it was, you know, Jerry knows better and those kind of things. But Tamika kind of started pushing him. Uh, and so, yeah, Jerry started getting pushed out, pushed out. And uh, so so the last time I saw him was one of these meetings where I had to, and he looked fine. Yeah. He was never, ever looked sick. Yeah. He always went to a regular doctor's appointments and he had good doctors. Yeah. You know, good doctors. And so to find out that he's got now full-blown AIDS, a month later, he's dead. My gosh. So now it's like, what really happened? And, you know, did somebody really inject him with it? And Oh, wow. Was, were people were thinking that? Oh, of course. Wow. Some people so thought he, Shook, because Suge Knight actually went on the Arsenio Hall show or one of the TV shows uh-huh. and talked about how easy got injected. I mean, and this is before, I mean, it was kind of before it happened or, or during it while it happened, whatever it was, it was very strange. Wow. But people thought Tamika did it, you know, cause she, she ended up with the company and all his money oh. and married him, married him on his deathbed. 
Oh shit! She fucking did it, man. <laughs> and and he and Easy wasn't uh he wasn't a playboy, no. You, to, Are you kidding? He no, but I mean, <laughs> that's what the problem was. This guy had more women, so of every kind of persuasion. Oh my god! And he never had protection. Oh no, he was the worst as far as that goes. I've never in my life seen anybody that fucked more than Easy E. <laughs> so I mean, so there is an argument that Tamika didn't do it, right? Because well, was- well, you know what? Nobody. It, what happened was there was no autopsy, there was no investigation. Kind of uh, like with Tupac and Biggie, you know. They just you know, let it go. Let it go. Another black one dies. Who cares? Oh you my know, god! You know the society rolled there. Another rapper gone, which is good. Yeah, we were devastated. I mean, it's like I loved working for Easy. Wow. I spent a lot of time with Easy. He was always great to me, nice to me. You know, never had a problem with him. Did you? Did you? Um, when you were, uh, when they were, when you first heard their music, were you aware of what they were talking about in their? Oh, yeah. Work? yeah, yeah, they were like. They were like street reporters. No, but I mean, before you before you ever heard of NWA, were you aware that of police brutality happening oh, in Compton oh, and yeah. shit like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I've known that. You know, I, I'm from the '60s myself. Okay. You know, oh, yeah. I was very, I was very anti-Vietnam, anti-war. I protested. Yeah. I, you know, we, we get, we get, uh, we riot at Ohio State. I was at Kent State. The week after those kids got shot, fuck. The next week, we went from Columbus and, and protested up there. When Nixon got inaugurated, we drove from Columbus to Washington D.C. to protest against Richard Nixon. Wow. So I've always known about police brutality and right. how you know the black man always was fucked. You know, you were already you were you were. You were quote unquote woke back then already. Oh, I was way woke. You know, I'm a, I'm a yeah. liberal American Jewish guy. Okay. I mean, that's how yeah. I was, even though I wasn't brought up religious at all. Right. But you know, we always kind of supported the blacks. Yeah. You know, like, like, you know, back in, in the day when Martin Luther King and all these guys were marching, there's a lot of Jewish people out there helping them out and working, you know, working yeah. for them. You know, because look, you know, we got we got shit over by the Nazis. Fuck yeah, you know, man! You know, you know, you know how it feels. We know how it feels, and the, the yeah. slaves, you know, took it out of Africa, put in boats, Fuck. whipped, you know, raped. I mean, and it was Jew- horrible. And the Jews were slaves too, you know. Jews were slaves too in Egypt. Yeah. Right. Man, exactly. I mean, so, what was yeah, the. I always knew about that kind of stuff. What but was I, had, the... I had police friends. It wasn't like I hated the police. I just knew there was yeah. lots of them were bullies. You know, bullies. They, when they went to high school, nobody liked them. You know, so yeah, yeah. You know. Oh my god, it's like the same old story until now, right? Yeah, same old story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different era. Now we got Donald You know. Oh my god, and then uh, yeah, because I mean, um, because the the. When all that NWA, the, the gangster rap, uh, more specifically, came out, it wasn't really uh, a thing in the Philippines. Well, of course, you know, fuck the police. Well, would never, 
penetrate yeah, during right. that time. It's like now who, no, nobody cares, you know. But during that time, it's like, you know, the censors in back in the Philippines be like, no way, man. So I'll tell you what it was. When Rodney uh, King got beat up, yeah, people actually saw him videotape getting his ass kicked. Yeah. That's all of a sudden people's, oh, I guess it really happens. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. So so that was the thing when, when they saw it. On video. Oh yeah, our guys used to that used to happen in the hood all the time. All the time. All, all the time. time. I, we were at the Arsenio Hall show one day. Easy was on, and we leave the show. And next thing we know, Easy's calling from his car. The police. He's got like a an eight fifty BMW. You know, beautiful, uh-huh. expensive car. Right. And he's like five foot two. Yeah. You know. We, you know, dressed with a gangster hat on or whatever. Yeah. And they pull him over, throw him out of the car, put him on the ground with guns at him. Oh thinking that he God. stole the car. Yeah. It was his car. Man, driving while black. <laughs> driving while black. Same thing happened to Bone Thugs in Harmony. Oh, my we, God. We gave him a check in Woodland Hills, like $50,000, $60,000 check. Wow. To go to the bank. The first time they ever got a big check. And they're they're waiting in line, and somebody calls the police because they look like a bunch of thugs. They're going to rob the bank. Rob the bank and right? falling exactly. in line. <laughs> These guys are going in to cash a huge check, so they throw them <laughs> on the ground and put guns on them. You know? Oh my! Really? They they came they. Oh yeah! Oh, oh yeah! Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, that was our world for like, a long like time. Like fucking like like fucking get on the ground and all that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bone thugs in harmony. Oh yeah. Holy well, that's shit. That's a whole other story. I, I managed Flesh and Bone from Bone Thugs for yeah. about 12 years. Eight of the years he was in prison. Holy shit. For what? Various things, you know. Wow. Also, he was, a, he, was a, he was a bad gun. boy. Yeah, he was so bad. He always had guns. He'd get arrested with guns. He wouldn't shoot anybody, <laughs> but he'd get arrested to have a gun. Oh, my you know, God. He... he one day, I'm sitting, uh, it's 4th of July. I'm sitting by a pool. I get a call from the LA Times, and they, they got my number. Uh-huh. They say, hey, would you like to make a, a statement about your client, you know, who just got arrested? And I, I didn't know what they're talking about. He's the lead, lead singer? He's the lead rapper? No, no, they're all, Flesh and Bone is one of the, it's Crazy Bone, Lazy Bone, Wishbone, Busy Bone, and yeah. Flesh and Bone. Okay. He's the oldest one. Okay. But he gets arrested because... One of the we put him in a real nice place in Granada Hills, like a big compound, you know, with his bodyguards to keep him. And he gets in a fight with the neighbor whose name is Gambino, you know. And so, exactly. So, police come, they go into the house, they find a a gun, take him to jail, you know. We bail him out two days later, he's on top of his house. Flesh, yelling at Gambino, who's <laughs> next door, telling him he's rapping. He's going to tell him how he's going to kill him, rape his wife. He's rapping. He's rapping, and he raps the whole thing. He's just making stuff up. Oh my god! Back in jail. Okay. Oh my. So god. we get him out. So he's all these things, and finally, finally, he's gonna he's going to jail. Okay. But he's out. So he drives over to his baby's mama's house. He's got a baby's mama, of course. Right. Uh-huh. Um, uh, 
even before the baby's mama's house, this is what happens. He's living. We move him out of that place into a, an apartment uh-huh. in Canoga Park. He's in a, his, this apartment, and one of the neighbors comes over, knocks on the door, and brings his friend with him and says, hey, hey, flesh man, you know, we just want to meet you. Can we get your autograph? You know, he said, yeah, sure. So he opens the door. These guys come in, and this guy starts looking at Flesh's girlfriend, Funny. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, just funny, which probably wasn't anything, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flesh is now flipping out, and he pulls out a Uzi out of a baby's carriage. He's got a baby's carriage, and his Uzi's in the baby carriage, and he points it at these guys. Oh, my. He's fans. He's fans. He's fans. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So the fans, of course, run away, and one of the fans tells his girlfriend, girlfriend calls the cops, SWAT team. SWAT teams comes down oh. and arrest him again. I mean, this this went on like nonstop for like maybe a year or two. Oh my god! So you know he spends a little time. Finally, okay, we, we and I get these great lawyers. I get these great lawyers in. They know the court system in Van Nuys. <clears throat> so this was the camel, the straw that broke the camel's back. So he's. <laughs> Got to turn himself in now. So he's before he turns himself in, uh, he buys diapers, wipes, all this stuff for his baby and the okay. baby's mamas. <laughs> but he's worried that these guys that he pulled the gun on are going to come after him. So he gets a sawed-off shotgun and puts <laughs> it on his on his dashboard while he's driving. Pointing, pointing front. It's, it's just sitting on a dashboard. Oh, no, okay, right. yeah. So he's driving. I'm in. I'm in mammoth skiing. I'm on a okay. ski lift. Okay. Okay. I get a call on a ski lift. Okay. And it's Flesh calling me. He says, "Gary, today I'm going to die." Oh my god! Today is my day of doom. I walked out. I see all these red dots on my chest. So oh, what happened was shit. What happened was he drive over to the baby's mama's house uh-huh. to give them supplies before he turns himself in to jail. Yeah. Baby's mama's sister sees him coming, sees the gun, calls the cops. Calls the cops. Oh, my the God. The team is back out, and they're in trees now with the guns all pointed at the front they're door. All, they're all snipers? They're all snipers. <laughs> all just snipers are waiting for him to shoot him. And, oh my God! And, and, and so I, I commented. I said, "Stan, what's going on?" You know, and he kind of explains. And I said, "Oh fuck!" He said, "Look, <laughs> take off your shirt, okay? Just go take off your shirt, put your hands up, and walk out because if not, they're going to come in and kill everybody." Oh they're my gonna God! Anybody. They're going to kill the baby's mama. They're going to kill the baby. Oh you know? my God! So wait, and, he, when he called you, he went back inside the house? He went back and he was in the house when he called me, yeah. He oh kind of so I immediately call one of our lawyers, Okay, a female lawyer. This is in L.A.? This is in L.A. This is all happening in L.A. now. Okay. Maybe Hancock Park or somewhere in L.A. And uh, I call this lawyer. She knows some of the cops in that area. So she drives down, you know, hundred miles an hour. She's on the scene, you know, now there's everybody on the scene. She talks to the watch commander into letting her 
go in and bringing him out. So that's what happened. Oh my she God. went in, they, they let her do it. He came out and then it was prison. And then it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, LA County jail anymore. Oh, wow. Then he spent years in prison. And when he was in prison, I was the only one that would take collect calls from him. Oh shit. And the rest of his brothers and his cousin and stuff, you know, kind of completely, you know, forgot about it. Oh my God. So that was my life, you know, back in those days. Was that big news back then? You know, if you Google flesh and bone right now, you'll see it. It, It'll come up, you know, flesh and bone gets arrested, flesh and bone gets arrested, you know, Oh But my God, so wild, since, man. Since he's been out of jail, he, in, in jail, well, here's the problem, though. He was a crack baby. Okay. He was a crack baby. He's bipolar. Okay. And his mother, his uh-huh. mother was crazier than all of them put together. Oh, my God. Mama P. I knew his mother, Mama P. She, they all came out to Cleveland together to, to Ruthless. When we signed them, originally signed them, easy signed them. Uh-huh. And my job was to take care of them. Okay. And they were like fucking animals. You know, <laughs> they lived off the streets, you know, and they were drug dealers too. And they were like animals, wow. but they were the fucking greatest rappers. And they had this whole new fast flow, you know? Yeah, that was such a unique thing that back then. And easy saw that. Yeah. So that was, like know, the, that was like the birth of chill rap or something, you know, yeah, really chill, you know, or, you know, because uh, there's a lot of hip hop nowadays that's, that's like that. It's like really chilled right, exactly. out. It's not, You're it's, not, you know, the yeah, they were the first, they were the first. And they don't do harmony. They say bones like the harmony. There's no harmony, but they're in yeah. unison. They're all in yeah. unison, you know, and, and they were great. And uh, again, it was, this was all fun for me. I mean, it was scary. <laughs> you know, but it was fun. It was cutting edge. It was different. Yeah. And, and all this time this was going on, I'm still playing at the clubs, you know? I'm still oh. playing like Beatles and, you know, Eagles and Rolling Stones. So what did you did you work with anyone after Bone Thugs? I mean, what happened oh, to them? Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. What happened to them? Oh, there's... So what happened was he got out of prison. He got religion. He got... Uh, he turned into a Muslim, which okay. was really good for him. Yeah. And he's cleaned out. Uh-huh. So he didn't do any drugs or alcohol or anything in prison. Oh, yeah, yeah. He got out. He was the most sane and sober of all the group. Wow. But these guys have always been fighting with each other. You know, there's two brothers, a yeah. cousin. They're all from Cleveland. They always fight with each other. You know, sometimes you go to Bone Thugs and Harmony Show. There'd be four of them, five of them, three of them. You know, you never uh. knew what was going to happen, you know. Oh, my God. Did did um wait what's I was gonna ask uh shit did he change his name? No, it's still flesh and bone. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean his so, real name he, because he became he converted to. No, no, no. He's still Stanley House. Oh, okay. H o w s e. His brother Lazy Bone Stephen House. Okay. There's Crazy Bone, Wishbone, and Busy Bone. Hi. <laughs> so so Hi. after after that, so I'm managing him. Okay. Uh huh. And I get him a deal with Def Jam, Def Jam Records, uh-huh. out of New York. Right. Okay. And with Lior Cohen, and uh, and uh, uh, we got a deal, and we're recording in L.A. His first record, 
and we do a song with Reverend, Reverend Ron from Run DMC. Yeah. You know, and things are looking good. And I get a call from the woman that owns the show, and she says, hey, Gary, you got to meet this producer named Damon Elliott. Okay. He's this young producer. He's working in, in my studio, and the guy is amazing with, with, with uh, beats, and he's quick, and he plays instruments, and he sings, and he's Dionne Warwick's son. Oh. So as soon as I heard Dionne Warwick's son, uh-huh. I drive right down because I'm a yeah. big Dionne Warwick fan. Yeah. Know? I drive down. I meet the guy. He ends up, uh, I, I, I want to hear some of his stuff. He plays me some beats. <clears throat> I say, come back tomorrow with some beats and we'll, I'll play for Flesh and for Lazy. So he comes back the next day. We get into uh, Suzuki Sidekick, his car. He starts playing these beats uh-huh. and lazy and flesh start rapping, this freestyle. And it's great. And so, so Damon ends up doing half the album, producing half the album. What was his name? Damon Elliott. Damon Elliott. Okay. Yeah. So I ended up managing him. And through him, he does Destiny's Child. Oh, Pain, shit. Maya, uh, um, Jessica Simpson, when she was really hot. Yeah. Old Dirty Bastard. Um, it's just like... Holy what? fuck. Yeah, exactly. And, and we get like 12 songs in movies. So now we've got songs in movies. So, you know, I'm kind of segging way out of flesh because he's still a little too crazy for me. Yeah. But Damon grew up in Beverly Hills. He grew up across the street from Aaron Spelling. So yeah, you're managing him. So you're managing Damon. I'm managing Damon. Yeah. So Fucking Damon, hell, dude. Yeah. yeah. So so that was fun. I mean, I'm meeting Beyonce. Oh shit. Bad and you know, and we're we're we we have our own studio in Hollywood, and we have our own room, and you know, we're meeting everybody, and and we're making a lot of money, you know. Yeah. Doing a lot of soundtracks. So and so started, all those. All those Destiny's Child songs, that's, that's Damon? No, 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 no. He only did one song on the Survivor album. No, he wasn't her. You know, oh, she okay. always used different producers. Right, right. So he did one song on this album. He, he did a, a song with her on a solo thing she did for a movie. He did a song with Old Dirty Bastard. He did a couple songs on Pink's record. Wow. Um, and I get to meet all these people. So Pink comes into where I'm singing at Pickwick's Pub uh-huh. and gets, sings with me. Oh. You, know? You, know, so, you know, I'm having fun. And and so we signed this girl named Keisha Cole. Uh-huh. I don't know if you know Keisha Cole. Yeah, Keisha. Yeah. Yeah. So She had Keisha, troubles, right? Like a couple of years ago or something. Yeah, but it's, it's not it's Keisha. It's Keisha Cole. Oh, it's different. Okay, different. different. Okay, okay. She's from Oakland. Okay. And she's a singer. And she sings, but she's ghetto, very ghetto. Uh-huh. And we get her a huge deal at AM Records. Right. You know, which was at the time part of Priority. I mean, not Priority, Interscope. So we get her a huge deal. Damon signs her to her label. And, uh, and he does the most of the record, the majority of the record. But it's under his label. And she sells million, over a million records. And then... The president of AM Records, a guy named Ron Fair, uh-huh. starts moving Damon out and trying oh. to take over. 
So it was another one of those kind of things. Shit. And so Damon has one of his buddies at a party go up to this Ron Fair guy and kind of put his hands on him yeah. and say, you know, I, I, you know, don't do this, whatever. Yeah. So he gets blackballed. Kind of like air supply. Yeah. So Damon now gets blackballed by oh. Ron Fair and Keisha leaves him. And uh, and that was the end of that. Oh, my God. Fucking politics, dude. Ah, crazy. It's fucked up, man. It's like <laughs> it's like all uh, all these kinds of potential are just stopped because of. Oh, yeah. Like that. You know it what I mean? All the time, unfortunately. Yeah, man. So, so, so did, yeah, so that was kind of my last, um, you know, then I started working with Jerry Heller again, doing uh-huh. various things. But uh, I um, I got into, I started working on a documentary on the Negro Baseball Leagues, which is oh. something else I'm doing. Really? And, I got, and I started working on this Congan Water thing, yeah. seriously. So yeah. I started making some pretty decent money doing that, these two yeah. things. And playing, so I kind of segued out of the crazy music business. And then I had one more little uh, stint for about a year. Uh, Jerry calls me and he says, hey, man, I need you to be the uh, road manager, production manager, merchandising manager, and sound man for this girl named Erica Jane. Okay. Erica Jane, if you Google her right now, you'll see a lot on her. She's been on... The uh, the real the real housewives of Beverly Hills, you know uh-huh. the TV show. Yeah, you know all those the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Yeah, she yeah. Was yeah. One of but she was like a a disco singer. She had eight eight number one songs on the Billboard dance charts. Oh, and she would do all gay clubs around the United States. Okay. She would do all gay clubs. Yeah. And her husband was a billionaire. Oh. And she had a private jet and everything was first class. Wow. And we had about 12 people that we that you know that went with us. Choreographer, gay, um, hairdresser, gay. Yeah. Kind of like with every way I was with all blacks. Now with Erica J, I'm with <laughs> all gay. You know, <laughs> we had you know, costume people. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah the whole thing and she had these six gay dancers and we would go to atlanta we go to miami we go to new york all first class and she would do about a a 15 minute set that's 15 minutes and not get paid she didn't get paid wow yeah she just did it for the fun of and her husband is so rich didn't care gosh so that was kind of the last thing I kind of did, um, and that was that was probably around five or six years ago. So, man, you know, kind of had enough in dude, music. Oh, well. Dude, hearing hearing each era that you were in, <laughs> that in, yeah. uh, that you were a production manager, it's like it's all these. It's like what? It's like my gosh! Do do you appreciate what you what you just said? All of that, all those stories. It's like that it happened to you. That because it's I, like you mean the last one or all of them? No, all of them, man. It's like a charmed life, dude. I loved my life. I still love my life. Fuck. I, I'm lucky because I was. First of all, I'm mostly lucky 
because I'm pretty healthy, you know? Yeah. You know? Uh, secondly, I've been able to play my guitar since I've been nine years old. Through all of this? Through all this. Never wow. stopped. I did hundreds, hundreds. I played one club in, in L.A. for 25 years. Nonstop. <laughs> I mean, who do you know has done one club Dude, for 25 years? No one, man. <laughs> no one. I, I went through three owners, three different owners, you know. But I was, <sighs> you know, steadily there. Plays burned down. And then it reopened a year later. And then I started playing again on and off. <laughs> my so, uh, you know, I can I can relate somehow because in, in my, ba my band back in the Philippines, Wolfgang, we, when we started out, we were playing every Friday in the same club for three years. That was our gig. Right. That, right. That, and that's how we built our following. So that's it's like, it <laughs> I made 25 years, man. And that's, that's not even once a week, right? What's that? That's not even a once a week gig. That's more than once a week. Well, no, that was usually once a week. Thursday. Oh, once a week. Okay. Because okay. So other, yeah. And other places I played. Yeah. That was only one of the places I played. Right. There were maybe five or six places I would juggle around, you know, some in L.A., some in Moore Park, some in, in Oxnard out here. Yeah. You know, you know, because I'm the human jukebox and because I know so many songs, yeah. I kind of entertain any kind of, uh, kind of group. I in, Any kind, I, yeah. You want country? I got Johnny Cash. I got Willie Nelson. Yeah. You know? You want rock? You know, I got Beatles and Stones. Yeah. You want blues? I got blues. If you want NWA? I got rap. Yeah, man. The first time I saw you rap, I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> oh, my God. It was like, and and it wasn't even, it wasn't even like, uh, the thing that got me is like, yeah, okay, he raps, but. And then, and then eventually, I find out what you were with. You were with actually NWA. It's like, okay, that's why he can rap because he with yeah. those dudes for a long time, man. I don't know anybody else's raps. You know, I don't know anybody else's raps. <laughs> yeah. you know, NWA because I listen to that shit every day. Yeah. You know? and, and when you were pissed at at that hurricane, yeah, right. That's when I first learned it all, and then I started playing it in the clubs yeah and my people loved it yeah you know, i mean these are college kids you know in the 80s yeah. late 80s early 90s early 100s you know so these are college kids that love nwa and they knew me from all this stuff <laughs> so they would always request yeah you know, from yesterday to you know here's a little story about a nigga like me never yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, it's kind of been. I mean, it's look at it's. I it never made a lot of money, but you know that's one of my family traits. You know, we never make a lot of money, yeah. but you know, I've survived, happy, healthy all these years, and I'm still singing three days a week on Facebook Live, which I I started that as soon as the pandemic started. Yeah. So if any of your fans out there, uh, it's just Gary Ballin on Facebook. You don't Man. even have to friend me. It's it's because I have so many people from the Philippines yeah. because of Mary Lou that listen to me every single time I play. Filipinos love what you do, man. I know. And, human, and if you're a human jukebox, you're king in the Philippines, man. Yeah. 
Well, I played at a pretty, I can't remember the name of the place, and Mary Lou knows it, but it's a pretty famous place uh-huh. where the guy that owned it was like a TV star. And it was upstairs. You take an elevator up. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. You know, um, this was maybe four years ago or so. Yeah, yeah. But we go there, and I've got my guitar just because I have it with me. Yeah. And and there's this Filipino band called like Sound of the 60s or something. Right. These guys are playing all this beautiful, you know, 60s stuff with harmonies. Yeah. And they're really great. And the owner says, hey, why don't you get up and play? You know, and these guys don't want me to get up and play. I, I can just tell yeah. they did not want me to get up and play. Right. You right. know, because they're yeah. looking at me like, you know. So I get up and plug in. I start playing. As soon as I know it, the whole band is back, backing me. Yeah. Now, now we're all playing together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, you know what? You know, that's the thing because those bands, those kinds of bands, they're called show bands in the Philippines. Right, right. So they're they they've got they've got that down to a T. They don't jam, you know. They don't it's not an open jam, it's in the song. Right, right, right. So they're like always like, Man, if this guy doesn't know the arrangement, then we're fucked. Yeah, but then, yeah, of yeah, course, exactly. you, <laughs> you knew all those songs before those guys were born. Right? Yeah, I <laughs> those guys were born, exactly. Yeah. I was doing that when they were, like, in diapers. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. And the other thing is I'm just – I got so many friends, and I met so many people through music, you know, and I still talk to Damon. You know, he called me a couple days ago. And, you know, a lot of the NWA people, I stay in touch with – you know, thank God for Facebook because yeah. I'm in touch with so many people yeah. through that. And when I play, like today, I play, you know, Sunday at three o'clock for three hours. Yeah. I got people from elementary school watching me. I got people I went to high school with, junior high. I got people that I went to college with. Yeah. I got people that I used to work, you know, at, at, from the, the clubs. So I get and then I got probably 25 Filipinas that are friends of Mary Lou's yeah. or relatives. And they now, they have their favorite songs they request. So, you know, we play their favorites, the ones they like. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be happier. And I got the love of my life, so. Man, it's like, and now it's like. And I inherited money. And I inherited that money, so. Oh, yeah, man. I'm, I'm not, like, sweating anything for at least maybe another six months, so. Yeah, yeah. Six months, then I'm back to, like, month to month. Dude, when I'm, when I'm imagining right now, like the, what you've seen since the start of our conversation, it's like the start of rock and roll, the blues. You've seen all of that. It's like uh, it's like you you have your own Forrest Gump story. You know what? And you know so what I mean? Much, so much more that I haven't even hit on. Uh, for a while, I was promoting jazz concerts. Um, oh my in, god! In, back in Ohio. Uh-huh. Um, you know, because I, I I was kind of a big shot there as a performer, <clears throat> but then I opened up a jazz club at our local blues club. It was just one night a week, but I would bring in yeah. these. I had a, a a pot dealer partner who had tons yeah. of money, right. so we would bring in whoever we wanted. You know, yeah, and kind of again, like hey, we didn't care about making money or anything. Yeah, we did it for fun. So I told you the story about the first two guys I saw. Um, um, Sonny Stitt yeah. and, uh, and Mose Allison in California in 69. Right. Seven, 1977, I bring, I hire these two guys to come and play at our club. Wow. So I got Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, 
Dave I got I like Youssef Latif, all these really good people. Youssef Latif. Youssef Latif, yeah. Shit. Eddie Rollins, uh, Eddie Harris. Um, and I did folk stuff too. Oh Dave Van God. Ronk. Dave Van Ronk was the guy that that influenced Bob Dylan. Okay. He was pre-Bob Dylan. Right. So I brought him in, you know, just because I wanted to meet these guys. You wow. Know? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's I forgot more than a lot of people ever, you know. Oh uh, man, I mean, just hearing it, and I and the thing is, I'm I'm picturing it in my head. It's like from like, and then you saw, and not just your your career, but your life. You saw the Beatles when they came out on TV the first time. These are historical things, man. Yeah, yeah. And I only see, for me as a music fan, a music nerd, especially, I only see it in documentaries. And now right. I actually know someone who lived it, lived through it, lived it. It's part of your life. It's part of your history. It's you like for me, it's, but it's like for me, Live Aid is my Beatles thing. Right, right. You know what I mean? Because Freddie Mercury, seeing Freddie Mercury in Live Aid, that's when yeah. I said, I want to do that. That was yeah, my oh, thing. Yeah. So, crazy. yeah. I'll tell you two quick things if we got a little more time. Yeah. Got to meet two of my idols, uh-huh. Jerry Garcia from The Grateful oh, Dead. Oh my gosh! And David Gilmour from Pink Floyd. Oh, oh my god! I got to hang out with David Gilmour for a month. Okay, how? When he was recording the first Pink Floyd album without Waters. Uh. Uh. Shit. Um, momentary lapse of reason. Momentary lapse of reason, yeah. Yeah. And he wrote that song, Between Me and You, about a girl that me and my ex-wife introduced him to. Oh, oh my God. But here's the deal. So I'm managing Hurricane at the time. It's the mid-'80s. Okay. Ezrin, who's producing Hurricane, right. produced that record. Yeah. And he called me and he said, hey, Gary, do you want to meet David Gilmore? Oh, my God. In, we're doing this album. And I said, of course I want to meet him. <laughs> so I go into my garage. And in my garage, I have a box, like cardboard box. In that box is the best marijuana and hash in the world <laughs> that I'm holding for a friend of mine that is running from the FBI because he got busted for a boatload of marijuana. Where is it from? From Colombia or Mexico? I, I, I'm in, I'm in, I, I'm in LA at the time. Uh-huh. He got busted in Florida in the, in the Florida Keys. Okay. But instead of going to court, he's he runs. Oh shit. So while I'm, I'm in California and one of his buddies comes over out of nowhere and gives me this box and he says, hey, I want you to hold this box. Or your your buddy, whatever his name is, I'm not going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He gave you this box to hold. Now, if you want to use it, he says, fine. So I open it up, and it's, like, it? it's like the cover of High Times back in the day <laughs> where you got the best weed imaginable. Oh, my God. They're all in mason jars, like. Tie stick. How big is the box? Is it like a carton? It's like a, it's maybe like around 
three feet by two feet. I mean, you know, it's kind of like a, it's a box. I mean, you can carry it. It's not too big, but. Okay. Okay. Like a, like a, you can fit a pumpkin inside or something. Yeah. You can put a pumpkin, you could have put, put a couple pumpkins inside. Okay. okay. And, but this, I open this up and I cannot believe what I'm saying. <laughs> There's hashish, giant, giant, like ounce of hash with an Afghan stamp on it. Oh you know, my God. Colombian red bud. There's Acapulco gold. And back in the day, I mean, these were what was happening. Tyson, yeah. I don't touch it, okay? I yeah. I keep it up, hide it until I get to meet David Gilmore. Then I say, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go break open that box. Yeah. I know David Gilmore is going to want to smoke hash. Yeah. Because these English guys, they they put that hash in with their cigarettes, you know? Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I go and meet David Gilmore, and we get to be really good buddies. And oh we go God. Half, of that, half of that box, you know, just smoke it off. So David Gilmore liked the, liked the ganja, huh? Yeah, he liked the ganja, he liked the hash. And he came over to my house, uh-huh. he sat on my couch, he played my guitar, he came to the Pickwick pub where I sang and watched me play. Utang inapare. I mean, it was, un, you know, for me, it's like unbelievable. So, it's, oh my God, I can't believe yeah. you're telling me this, man. And he's dating now. I mean, he's married already, but he's yeah, yeah, yeah. This girl that's a friend of me, mine, and my wife at the time. Yeah. And so we're all hanging out, going out, doing this and that. And they've got five gigs. They got some gigs at the LA uh, Coliseum. Yeah. And I get to see all five of them, you know? Oh my God. So, That was my David Gilmore story. Unfortunately, at the time, people didn't have phones where you can take pictures and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was never like a groupie kind of guy where, yeah, yeah. you know, I pictures of people. But there was enough people that, that were around that can verify. Verify. Hey, man, if I, if I meet uh, David Gilmore, I'll ask him about you. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> I believe last, you. I believe you, man. Shit. Yeah, my last story is Jerry Garcia. Okay. You know, I love the Grateful Dead. Uh, one of my favorite bands always. I play about 10 Grateful Dead songs right yeah. now. Always have. So they're playing in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and uh, I'm backstage. A friend of mine's the promoter. Uh-huh. And the band is walking from the dressing room to the stage. And the keyboard player was a guy named Keith Gottschalk. Okay. And it, Wife was named Donna Jean. What what year is this? This is probably 1975 or 76. Okay. And so we're playing at the Ohio Theater, and he's walking, they walk on stage, and this keyboard player got hair down to his butt, you know, and this guy is a space cadet, but a, a genius <laughs> yeah. player, keyboard player, genius. Yeah. So I mean, he's in the Grateful Dead. So yeah. he walks up to me out of nowhere, starts handing me all this cash, all this money out of his pockets. And he <laughs> says, hey, man, find me some Coke and some pot. And walks on stage and does the show, you know? <laughs> so I make a couple calls. By the time the show's over, I got a little baggie. I got his bag, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I give it to him and that's it. So yeah. the next day, I find out, I realize that I got 60 bucks left over of change of his. So instead of keeping it, 
me and my buddy Mushroom Joe, who was my best friend at the time, uh-huh. we know where they're staying. So we go to the uh, Christopher Inn in Columbus, and we ring up to his room. He's not there. So we call Jerry Garcia's room. Okay. And Jerry Garcia answers the phone. <laughs> for us, it's like we're talking to God now. We're talking to God. So you you haven't you have you didn't meet him yet? You didn't meet him the night before. Okay. You know, show was unbelievable. I mean, it yeah. was amazing. Didn't yeah. meet anybody but this Keith guy. Yeah, we gave him his stuff, and that was it. So yeah. the next day, we go to Jerry Garcia's, and he says, "Oh, come on up." I, I tell him, I tell him what happened. I said, "We got sixty bucks. You know, can you give it to Keith?" He so we go up to his room, <laughs> and you know, he answers the door, and it's like. Perfect Jerry Garcia. He's got a black T-shirt, black jeans, black boots, smoking a cigarette and a joint. He's got a guitar that he's noodling on, and he's just kind of waiting to check out. So we hang out with him, me and my buddy Joe, for about Shit. an hour. We're hanging out with Jerry Garcia for an hour. And then then it's time to check out. He says, hey, why don't you guys come to our gig tomorrow night? We're playing in uh, in uh, Indianapolis. Uh-huh. And it's it's Halloween. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, Grateful Dead Halloween. Oh my so, God! So he says, talk to Sai. Sai is their cook. He's the guy that cooks all their food. Oh. And they got like fifty people with them. I and mean, they got a giant entourage. Of, Shit. Kids. There's dogs. There's wow. You know, I mean, with them. So we go. I, I three of my buddies and me. We load up in a van. We got mushrooms, we got quaaludes, we got cocaine, we got pot. I mean, we come, we're like a drugstore. Yeah. And we drive to Indianapolis and we get backstage, and these guys are all tripping on peyote. Oh my God. This guy, Sai, has got this giant chili. He's got all this peyote and this giant chili. Oh, shit. You know, everybody's eating this chili peyote. This is before the show. Yeah. And everybody is tripping their brains out. <laughs> I don't remember what happened. I, I, I don't remember anything after that. Did you have some of it? Oh, I well, I, I was on mushrooms before, on the way <laughs> on the, the way in theater. already. <laughs> so I didn't need anything else. I didn't want anything else, you know. Oh my god! But, you know, those were different times, different days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, man. I mean. You're there, man. You're with the Grateful Dead. Right, Shit. You know, I never got into the real hard stuff or the bad stuff. And yeah, yeah, I yeah. Don't like drinking, you know. I'm not much of a drinker, and yeah. So no, and that's that's the good thing. I mean, you were you were uh, uh, you were aware enough or level headed level headed enough to say, okay, this is my boundary. I'm not crossing the line. You know. Yeah, I knew when to say when, and I saw I had friends of mine that died. Wow, I had friends yeah. of mine that just lost it, you know, yeah. because of that kind of stuff. So lost their minds. <laughs> yeah, lost their mind and Shit. and died, you know, OD'd, you know, and yeah. stuff like that. So I saw that, not a lot of it, because you know, me and my friends, we were we were pot smokers, you know, we were like hippie pot smokers, musicians. Right. You know, we weren't doing we weren't hurting anybody. Yeah. We never did anything bad, you know. You know, we may trip for a couple of days in a row, but uh <laughs> yeah. you know. I would be so scared to do any of that stuff now. You know, I, I barely will smoke pot now because, you know, I just. Dude, I you know, the, the sativa nowadays, it's too much for me, man. I can't take it. The sativa, yeah. the, it makes my, it gives me palpitations. It's yeah. so strong. Dude. Same thing with me. I'm telling yeah. you. 
It's like, see, I used to pl- smoke before I sang now. Yeah. I don't even do that anymore because I start forgetting words, <laughs> forgetting <laughs> what song I'm doing. You trip out on your out. own. <laughs> I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat later, you know, you know, I'm thinking about food. It's like, it's like all these things going on in my mind yeah. while I'm singing a song. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. And yeah. then we, yeah, and that's why I never. Like and verses, you know, you know, yeah. heaven or American pie oh, you know, or, or, or Billy Joel, you know, piano man. Oh, There's a yeah. lot of words here to got to remember. A lot of words. Yeah. That's why I don't, uh, especially back in the day, it's like I can smoke. I can smoke and play nowadays. I got because I, I've gotten used to the hit. Uh-huh. But back then, <laughs> I'd I'd be tripping out on the song that we're playing. So I'd be like, "Oh shit, we're what?" And then I'd come out of the trance and be like, "Holy shit, what part are we in now? Are we in the chorus?" Yeah, you're the drummer, man. You know, you gotta yeah, and I'm, I'm the drummer. I'm like, together. "Fuck, where are we? Shit!" So I had to stop smoking, you know, before playing. But yeah. now I can handle it. Anyway, Gary, it's it was fucking amazing, man. I, I really, well, glad, really, glad. Well, I really, really appreciate this, man. I mean, um, it's and it's and it's. Uh, I'm really happy that I met you, too. Me too, man. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to jamming with you. More. Fuck, man, I can't wait. In the Dude, future, you know, I'll tell you what I'm doing now more than ever. I never played a lot of electric guitar. Uh-huh. I always played the ovation, right. plugged into the pedal and electric acoustic, but I was never really into electric guitar, uh-huh. you know, I mean, just because I couldn't do it and I was so kind of good at what I did, I didn't want to stretch it. But now I'm playing more electric guitar. I got a little amp and yeah, man. You know, practicing some stuff. So I'm looking forward to someday in the future we get, we, we know some good bass players and, uh, you know, we, we got Dude, some people we could jam with. You 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 stand in front of me and I'm gonna literally blow you away, man. And then you gotta get a bigger amp and get a bigger amp and get a bigger amp. I know, <laughs> I know what you get. did, man. I know what you did and what you do. I've heard you play. You're loud, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're John Bonham, uh, you know, uh um uh, uh what's his name? Uh from the Who, uh, oh yeah, Keith Keith Moon. Moon. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my I god, mean, I, lo- I love that stuff. I love all yeah. that stuff. So anyway, on that note, it's it's a really high note to end this thing on, and I really good. I love you, man. Thank you love very you much. Too. Salamat, and uh, and anybody who wants to check out my shit, GaryBallon.com. Yes, GaryBallon.com. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. WGRS Talk. Great honor. Gary Ballin, thank you, and good night. Good night. Happy holidays, bro. Thanks, Wolfie. Same to you. All right. I'll see you soon, man. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.